every celebrity, their thought on Thursday and Friday would be, how do we skip the day? Beckham just flipped that on his head. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Half past seven. It is Friday morning today. You're very welcome along to OTBM. Adrian here. Kathleen there. Morning, Kathleen. Good morning, Adrian. And call him over there. How you call him? Adrian and Kathleen. Happy Friday. How are you getting on? Hope you're well. Hope everyone's well out there today. Looking forward to the weekend and looking forward to tonight. When Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal team up. Oh wow, we're straight into it. Straight, I couldn't help I myself. I just couldn't help myself. We're straight into it. Introduce our audience a little more, sort of likely with a little bit of actual conversation they wanted to hear, like a bit of football chat. Uh, no, no, we'll get to the we'll get to the B and C stories, but we could discuss that with the A one. No, I'm just saying Federer and Nadal is just it's huge. Like it's their teaming up, and it's the last time we'll ever see Roger Federer on a tennis court. It's big news tonight. It's going to happen in London, it, nine p.m. Eurosport. The Lever Cup. Lever Cup. Team Europe team against Europe. Team World. Team Europe. Team World. <laughs> Poor old Jack Sock and Francis Tiafo who have to play in the Dallas Federer tonight. If they win, there'll be riots. Do you think they're actually going to go for it? Like, do you think Tiafo and Sock are actually going to try and give them question. a, a yeah, match? Or so. are they going to just hold back? So you were saying you saw a video of him, of Federer playing yeah. and he looked like past the pace. Mm. And I feel like the way they've all been talking about this, it's a bit like, oh, we're here for the crack and it's to mark the occasion and they're swanning around London <laughs> in nice suits. Yeah. Pointing out the shard to Andy Murray and telling him <laughs> what that was, it is. That was ridiculous, but that was insane. So what is, what's that building from Andy Murray, who's lived in London it for many years? Adrian, then cynical Adrian says, and the office could find. It's like, well, what are, you, what are you all getting excited about? It's clearly a setup. Now, maybe Murray was just trying to start conversation among his peers. Ah, it's a bit awkward, but he was, you have form for naivety in, in relation to that stuff. No, no, no I wouldn't. Not, no, um, come on, tell us what's the what's what time is uh, kick off? Kick off is uh, due at nine pm. And it's on Eurosport. But uh, as Kathleen was asking there, like, will Tiafo and Sock hold back yeah. a bit? I don't think so. I think they, it'd be nice to have in the LinkedIn, like, you know, beat Federer in his last ever match. Mm. Be good to have. And uh, you must but, be counting your lucky stars to get a matchup like that. You know, if you're Tiafo or Sock, yeah, exactly. you get to yeah. say to yourself, oh, I got to play Federer in his last ever game before retirement. And it's just by pure coincidence that this is the event yeah, totally. he's chosen. And his profile has never been higher because he got to the semi final of the US Open, Tiafo. And Sock's a very good doubles player, actually. Uh, teamed up with our lad uh, Nick Kyrgios many a time uh, but it should be great and I just, it, I, it's, just, it's just brilliant to see Nadal and Federer play together in the same side of the court in a competitive match it's like not I have, it I, is great I, okay I here we go what's no, the problem no no like it would be that would be absolutely fine if the main thing in my mind is how like it's just a limp over the line isn't it and I know he needs to do that because physically sure. he's not up to anything else but it would be amazing if he was in a position to be able to compete at a proper tournament like on his own Against years old. Some, look, I appreciate all the. Colin looks yeah. like he's allowed to jump across the table <laughs> and take you out for but suggesting a, such a thing. I don't, I, come on now. I don't even think you believe what you just said. What's what's not to believe? He, what, it would be it'd be far better thing to be able to see Roger Federer doing what he do, has done best for the last thirty eight years or whatever. Like oh, the time no, of he's course, been professional I, at, at a proper tournament. Of course, it would. Oh no, that's acknowledged by everyone, including the man himself. But uh, in you know, in light of all the injury problems that he's had, like his knees banjaxed. And last time he played a match was Wimbledon singles last year when he lost to Hubert Hurkacz in straight sets. The final set was six of love. So his last ever singles match, as a set, sorry, right. he lost six of love. But there was no chance of him doing anything else. And actually, I thought we may never see him again. So I think to see him in a doubles match is okay. Maybe a bit underwhelming. But the fact that he's playing alongside Rafael Nadal, that'll be box office stuff. And I think if you're channel surfing tonight and you have the channel or have a link, 
I think it's a great, so- yeah, great stuff to watch. What because, will you um, do? Um, you know, what's what's your setup now this evening? Set up. Might watch England against Italy. Uh, Jonathan Wilson set us up for it nicely yesterday on the show. Um, I, know, I always like watching Italy. It's like, Absolutely loved that team for the Euros. That yeah. one, I just loved that team. We were, at, we were reminiscing about that final yesterday. Just how close England got to winning that thing, which I know is uh, it's on the record that we talked about the last year. But you actually forget that just a little over a year ago, England nearly won a major tournament. And when Jorginho missed that penalty, I thought we thought England were going to go on and win it. Um, so it would be nice to see the rematch and see where what, both sides what, are now. It's a very different complexion for both sides. I'm over asking a year you later. more. Like, what are you doing for the football? That's I uh, saw for the tennis. What's the well, what's your world. setup? What do you mean? Like with the wine and cheese equipment yeah. of you? Well, I'll just watch it. Okay. And uh, I'm gonna pop I'll just watch it. I'll probably watch it. It's like it. he's been banging on, right? Since this watch was announced, it. when was it? About two yeah. years ago that he's retiring and he's now limping over the line, as we've established. And Cullum's response to, you know, his greatest hero of all time is, I'll probably watch the England match. And, yeah, just watch it. Well, say, what do you want me to do? Like, I no, actually, but, sort of but the, setup, the so. wine and cheese is a distraction, really, from your Leinster watching, right? So I'll probably just turn it on and I'll watch it, right? And then I might have my phone on and I'll probably go on Twitter. I'll probably text and you will be like, what a shot there. What a backhand. Yeah. And you'll be like, what are you talking about? I won't be watching. What are you talking lie. about? Why won't you be watching? Watch, there'll be some sort of TikTok highlights at some point and that'll be a good way to... Be yeah, that's the bad people who just watch the highlights of this, but I, I implore people, Richard Redballs, everybody watching this morning... Nadal, Federer teaming up tonight one last time. It's going to be exceptional. I'm quite sad I'm missing it. I'm going to Darrow Breen tonight for Culture Night oh, right, on yeah. Baker Street. And I'm going to be sitting there, I think, at the table. kind of. And then I'm you worried won't, he'll Kathleen, like spot won't. me or something <laughs> yeah, with right, the light yeah. on Don't my face. I, I, believe, I actually believe Kathleen would do that, would actually double job, like would go to a bit of comedy and also watch the tennis. For something important, like, you know, yeah. a Republic of Ireland match. Like if you were at an event, Kathleen, and yeah. the Republic of Ireland were playing, then you would be entitled to watch that game no matter what was going on. Even oh, I've done it many of- times. I remember doing it for the Ireland win over in uh, America, like being at a gig and fully just standing there in the middle of the Olympia, like everyone dancing around me, just like watching it on my phone <laughs> and then shouting and everyone being like, yeah, yeah. and thinking I was really enjoying the music. And I was like, no, we scored a try. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's legit. You could be, I mean, you could be at a wedding, and if there's if phone, you know, you can watch them watch the match on, on TV as you go. That's, yeah, that's. Uh, uh, it took him about five minutes to get there, but we <laughs> really good etiquette, isn't it, to, to watch to, a game at a wedding? Speaking of Lit. limping over the line, that was nice. Um, do you want to say there's loads coming up there? Darren Breen will be um, excellent. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've never seen him live, right? So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. My friend that I'm going with has been to him a good few times, and okay. said it's a good show. But I enjoy watching him on TV. So yeah, he is great, and a fellow Arsenal fan. There you go. Um, Coming up, thank you, Cullum, at uh, 7.37 on this Friday morning, we are going to talk to Alan Quinlan. There's uh, a lot to discuss with Alan Quinlan this morning. That's coming up in about 10 minutes' time or thereabouts. Um, So we'll chat him about that. We've uh, Kieran Donaghy and Rich Enser, um, uh, the announcement of a basketball championship coming to the National Basketball Arena a a bit later this year. And both of the lads will be in studio for you in uh, around about half an hour's time. We might... uh, Pump Kieran for a few GA questions while he's in as well. Ashling O'Reilly is at uh, Jamal Castle for day two of the KPMG Women's Irish Open and she'll bring us the very latest uh, recap the happenings of day one and including a good day in the end um, for Yolanda McGuire. So we'll get into that uh, with her there. Tell you what's happened across the back pages a bit after that. Tom English, of course, uh, regular contributor across the show. Uh, we'll talk all things Scottish football for the weekend that's in it. And uh, Vic Akers will be with us at ten past nine. The man, Kathleen, who made Arsenal basically is what we're saying essentially yes I mean he created the women's side he 
worked as a kit man under Wenger for the entire time that he was there. His son then became the kit man for Arsenal. Uh, he coached two Invincibles teams, which I don't think... Well, he was there for two Invincibles teams on the coaching staff, we will say, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty impressive because he brought Arsenal women to one and then he also brought the men to one as well. I'm going to say he brought them. It wasn't Wenger. It was all Vic Akers. But no, really looking forward yeah. to talking to him later, especially on the eve of such a historic weekend in the WSL. I mean, 50,000 tickets have been sold in the Emirates for the North London Derby, uh, really seeing that kick effect from the Euros during the summer. And I'm just really jealous I'm not going to be there. Yeah, um, it will be an absolutely uh, epic, epic event and another uh, milestone, of course, landmark milestone um, for the WSL. D- tell us about the um, Spain women's team as well. There's a big threat to quit here if... Uh, Shades of stuff that's happened here previously, but bring us up to speed of what's going on. Yeah, so very much on the different side of the excitement over the weekend, but basically 15 players from the Spain national team have written to the Spanish Federation and said that they will not play while the coach, uh, George Vilda, is still there. Now, this isn't the first time that players have, have voiced their annoyance over this coach, and it's not even the first time that Spain national team have done it in general. Uh, they crashed out of the 2015 World Cup, and afterwards, uh, several players tried to oust Ignacio Cuerda uh, and they they succeeded but several of those players including Vera Bokesh never played again for the Spanish women's team so where we had the chance to say we don't like the setup mm. the FAI actually did listen in the end whereas the Spanish FA have not listened Vilda came in in 2015 then afterwards and everyone hoped it was the start of a new dawn but it very much wasn't. The general impression is that he is uh, he's a company man for the FA. He's good friends with the Federation President uh, Rubiales, and a lot. The they haven't officially announced the list of players, but sources in Spain say that it includes like a lot of the top players in the team, including the likes of Mapi Leon, Guerrero, Sandra Panos. You also have Claudia Pino, Pina, who's kind of like the Gavi of the Barcelona and Spain team. Uh, Balmashi, you know, these are some of the biggest names in women's football right now, and they're writing to the federation and saying we don't want to play for this man. And shockingly, the federation came back and said, well, if you don't want to to play then we're just going to ban you for two to five years like they took it from the sense of this is disrespectful to the FA it's an honour to play for your country you don't get to decide mm-hmm. who the coach is um, and sources have said that the players are unhappy with the management of Villa's management of injuries the atmosphere in the locker room and also his team selection and his training sessions which I mean it's <laughs> Anyone on the outside could even see that his team selections are strange. When he was going to the Euros, he brought a strange collection of not that many attackers, even though Spain have some of the best attackers in the world. He plays players out of position. Uh, and he was handed a two-year contract right before the Euros, which, again, is a strange thing to do. There was so much hype around Spain, you would think you would wait until the end of the tournament and actually see, could he deliver on the hype? But instead, he was given that safety net. So it'll be really interesting to see how this unfolds because I don't see these players standing down. Uh, one of the noticeable names that's missing is Patelis, who obviously Ballon d'Or winner, one of the best players in the world. It's currently out with an ACL injury that she got just the night before the Euro started. There's some talk that she's not there because of that reason, so she hasn't been called into the national camp anyways. Um, but she has supported the players when they initially brought this up in the last international window. Um, they went straight to Vilda and had kind of a an internal talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they came out and said that they were going to play. So... 
it's interesting. They're playing Sweden on October 7th and then the US women's national team on October 11th. And there's some talk that those teams should boycott the matches in support. So definitely the sort of thing that's going to keep rumbling on. And you just hope that the RAF kind of get there or their RFEF get there their act together yeah well, we'll see what happens with it it's, uh, it would certainly be the uh, you would imagine rather than uh, that entire mutiny the easiest option and uh possibly at this point the wisest option with the small matter as well the Republic of Ireland obviously in action this weekend and um it feels kind of like, um, you know, there's obviously been a, a lot of, it's been a weird um, last couple of windows, and but there's been a general positivity. And then suddenly Scotland go and do what they did the other night. And you, yeah, suddenly, I don't know if it's like an, an Irish mentality, maybe it's just me, but I'm suddenly feeling like, oh, jeez, like, you know, because they're in a crest Here of Here we wave, go again. <laughs> and, you know, all sorts of John McGinn is going all Braveheart on, in the uh, papers this morning about like, oh, we need to avenge. You'll never take our something, something. Um and it does feel as if like there's a bit of momentum swing almost back and they're at home obviously in Hamden Park and stuff but uh, and we're hoping to catch up with Nathan he's got on a flight in the last 15 minutes is that right? Um, I, I have believe we, have we heard from anyway. him? I haven't we heard from him this morning no, he's I, on the OTB jet <laughs> <laughs> the private jet yeah. uh, I spoke with him yesterday evening Nathan before he went on air last night and he was very excited uh, kid before Christmas uh, about going to Scotland yeah. I haven't heard from him since oh, well, I hope he's, he's okay he's on WhatsApp four minutes ago so. was he? Yeah. well that's a good sign uh, but he's very keen to come on the show this morning so we'll try and get him on later um, he wants to give us the, the deets from Scotland yeah. but uh, I think he's in transit how do we all feel what's the, what's the confident yeah because it was actually Nathan alluded to it himself when he was on air last night saying he was in the office on Monday and he was saying uh you know, if, if it's two negative results here against Scotland and Armenia, then mm. he thinks Stephen Kenny's under serious trouble. And I was, uh, my first reaction was to say, no, no, that can't be right, because it was such a positive June. But then you remind yourself that the first two of those four games, there was mutiny on. Do you remember, remember the morning after we were in here and we spent about 45 minutes talking about the future of Irish football and we were in an existential crisis all over again. And then all of a sudden those, those latter two matches occur a very convincing win against Scotland and then a great result away to Ukraine where the, the now famous Nathan Collins goal. So mm. it seems like we're on a real high with Kenny at the moment but it's so it's such on a knife edge and, that, and that's been the case for the whole Kenny reign. The one thing different about this week leading up to it is that the theme of Kenny so far has been uh, disrupted build-up. Players unavailable for whatever reason, injury, COVID, uh, or uh, uh, truncated preparation. Not this week. They've had loads of time. They arrived, I think, they gathered on Sunday night. They've had a, a number of days to train, and the match is still over 24 hours uh, to go. So there's a lot of time for kind of a cohesive strategy to form. And I just hope that it is a, a positive uh, two rounds of fixtures. And at this time next week, we're talking about how bright the future is under Stephen Kenny, but it's so topsy turvy, lads. And if it goes badly, we could have that conversation all over again like we did What is a positive for you though? Like say we go to Four Scotland points. tomorrow <laughs> but say like we lose 2-1 or something but it's a good mm. performance and we're just beaten by a better team like do you think Kenny is still in trouble then? Yeah I think that's a really good question because for me yeah personally that's absolutely the case like and you're saying Kathleen like 2-1 good performance for me in my head Scotland score a late winner there and Ireland also nearly score a late winner before mm. Scotland do and for me it was like that's fine I think if Ireland play the football that Kenny wants us to play that for me would be positive but if that exact same occurrence uh, was to preside over itself like I would say that a lot of people would be Kenny out because mm. people are waiting for the ice to fall under Kenny mm. for people who don't race and for people who do 
uh, it would have to be a catastrophic result, probably the equivalent of of what we gave Scotland in June, um, for there to be any narrative change about the future of Kenny. Who are uh, those people suggesting that comes in in his place is the thing? Because like, it's grand to be saying, uh, well, the result didn't go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he's linked, it's funny because he is linked with the, yeah. we were chatting about it yesterday, he was linked with the Buzz job and he was on Virgin Media last night, I think you saw it, Kathleen, and he was saying, he wasn't saying, uh, he wasn't running a million miles away from it. No, I was quite surprised. I thought when he was asked about it that he was going to be a bit more like, oh, don't believe everything you read in the papers. But he basically said it's the nicest story that he's ever been linked with and he really needs to step up. It's time for him to go to the next yeah. level. And to me, it sounded like a come and get me. Come and get me, yeah. And if, whether it's Bose or someone else. Interviews yeah. are underway, according to one of the papers today, and that it seems like he has been interviewed for it. So. Uh, your point there about yeah, who would replace yeah. Stephen Kenny, I think that's always been the argument for the pro-Kenny camp. But I think for the anti-Kenny camp, that's irrelevant. It's like, well, if the manager's not working, get rid of the manager and we'll, we'll go from there. And we'll yeah, but then that's just... But I, w- I would, like... You're then that preaching, just doesn't make any sense. Well, either. you're preaching to the converted. Yeah. I would absolutely uh, go along with that. I mean... I'm so pro Kenny because he's trying to modernise Irish football and it wasn't until right up until Kenny got, Kenny got appointed that you would watch Ireland games under Mick McCarthy in the second spell Martin O'Neill Giovanni Trapattoni and so on mm. and it felt like a throwback when you were watching those games if you were watching the Premier League or whatever football you were into that felt modern uh, and it felt progressive and then you would watch an Ireland game and you felt like you were back in the 90s mm. and I don't believe that's the case with Stephen Kenny but the problem with Stephen Kenny is that the results haven't been overall absolutely brilliant it's been very inconsistent so that opens the door for his detractors and I do understand the point of view of a lot of people that for them it's a results business and it's all about getting to major tournaments and you know giving them a great go and getting to the last 16 last age and having a great time and the reading in the years moments and all that but for me this is these are the necessary steps to take to make Irish football attractive to watch and I think there's no better man for it than Stephen Kenny because he also as well as having tactical acumen really really cares like really cares about this team and I think that you also have to sprinkle in the like uh, mutterings that come from within the squad because like there has been other managers over the last number of years where you know you would hear on the grapevine that things were not going that well that you know training wasn't necessarily everything it might have been at that level and you know the tactical um um uh, ambition of the team wasn't exactly what it should be, and but the mumblings and public and and otherwise from the current squad is so positive. Like, I mean, I do think that that has to be, you know, there's nobody pulling in the opposite direction here as well, which is so often. I mean, we've just been discussing in relation to the Spain thing. Um, I mean, I don't know ultimately what the end point of that is on your question, Kathleen. Like, I mean, if they end up mm. going over and you know they get beaten and the performance hasn't been great then maybe we all start to suddenly change our mind and we start talking about Big Sam again. I think the second game is probably more important. It is, yeah. 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 Well, Well, I mean, Scotland, if we put up a performance against Scotland and don't get the points, it's fine. But if we do that on Tuesday, then we're in trouble. And I think Kenny's in trouble then. I do agree. I kind of, I came round to Nathan's idea a bit more whenever I talked to him a bit more about it. But I do think that second game is much more. (laughs) What are your expectations for the next two games? Uh, I don't think we're going to win tomorrow. I think we should win <laughs> against Armenia. <laughs> That's basically it. But I don't. I actually. I, it depends on how we play tomorrow. Yeah. Well, that because, that like is, you that said, everything thing, yeah. before this has been so. There's been so much disruption. Yeah. There's been so much confusion. Like the team for tomorrow was pretty much set about apart from one or two positions where we're like could go this way, could go that way. Scotland are in such good form. They're they're on a high. 
I feel like there hasn't been that much excitement here about the game. Mm. I don't know. It mm. feels like we're almost waiting for the inevitable. Yeah. And we think the inevitable is going to be not a good result. So it's hard. I, but I'm not optimistic we'll win, but I'm hopeful that we will just put in a good performance at least. I think if we if we show some of the progression that we had um, uh, in the last window, then you know there's no reason for us to be... And I'm sure Stephen Kenny internally would not be overly sort of banging the drum about Scotland's 3-0 win over Ukraine and suddenly how they've you know, become wor- world beaters and they've done all this work in the lecture room, as Steve Clark was talking about during the week, and they've you know nailed their set pieces. And mm. I'm sure that... Uh, that stuff exists in the background, but from Stephen Kenny's point of view, he's not. That's not a big topic of conversation amongst the players. It's we've advanced. We're in a much better position. Yeah. We're maturing as a group. We should hold no fear over here. Um, you know, let's go out pragmatically to begin with. I can't imagine they're going to go gung ho. Uh, maybe at any point. Well, Scotland were absolutely appalling in Dublin. Mm. Like well, it's a very different team when you look at how they played during the week. Totally, like insipid like couldn't get anything going the only player for me that day who tried a bit of something was Scott McTominay and he gave the ball away a lot but McTominay's had a brilliant start to the season so I do fear a bit of uh, Scottish retribution here and that Ireland will I don't think it's the type of team that will go in thinking uh, same again lads I think they'll they'll be preparing for a Scottish reaction and hopefully have a counter plan to to react to that Uh, but I'm I'm confident I think um, I think Ireland will win by the odd goal. Scotland are obviously sort of uh, um, manning themselves against the complacency of having beaten Ukraine 3-0 and getting too carried away with themselves. That's why they're tapping into all that stuff about that's the McGinn Braveheart stuff. A few comments coming in. Celtic uh, on YouTube saying draw tomorrow and win on Tuesday. I think I think we'd all probably take that now, wouldn't we? We need to win the two games, top the group. And I, that would be my ambition we could for still, We could still finish second if other results go our way essentially but Maybe I think as yeah, unlikely uh, as they are love a bit of but, permutation yeah. <laughs> but this, uh, yeah but this uh, this Ireland team is totally capable of winning both games and that's yeah. that's where the ambition for me lies like um, ridiculous comments says uh, 95iFox on YouTube uh, not every game can be a referendum on the manager it's but a period it, of transition with young players results will be mixed the main focus is Euro 2024 20, qualifying um, I agree but we actually are living in a, in a time now with the Republic of Ireland national team that every game is a referendum and this, some referendums are more interesting than others mm. no, no matter what happens it seems to be the case and we never have a game where the game you take it for what it is and then you move on from it there's always a wider discussion about where Ireland are going after matches and it would be great to get into a consistent level of form where that's not the case and Chris Cal says last comment on it morning all the performance against Scotland is more important for me as any team can lose a game so yeah look what I mean I think we're all in that boat until the game actually starts and totally. you're like you switch bolts into the other boat totally right now we're moving to rugby Alan Quinlan good morning to you Morning, lads. How are you? Flying the thanks, yeah. Um, there's so much to chat about. We might start with Stuart Lancaster and uh, the bombshell that dropped this week. Nothing confirmed just yet. By all accounts, he's to jump on a Zoom with the owner and the current head coach at Racing at some point over the weekend. And uh, perhaps after all of that, um, he'll be handing in his notice uh, to leave, uh, to spend the rest of the season, obviously, and leave at that point. What's your assessment um, of... Lancaster's um, the impact of Lancaster leaving on Leinster would be um, yeah it's look I think Leo Cullen summed it up yesterday when you're when you're in Leinster's position um, there's always going to be somebody kind of hovering around uh, looking at their coaches um, looking at possibly some of their players as well um, I know that the players probably don't move that much and uh, particularly the Irish guys but um 
their success in recent years and, and what he's he's done with Leinster has obviously attracted a lot of clubs and this is not the first time it's come up about Stuart Lancaster possibly being wanted by by somebody else. Um, it did a couple of years ago with Australia. Um, there was mm. talks that he may take that job and that they were interested. I think any club would be interested in him given what what he's done with Leinster and, and obviously what you hear about what the players speak about him. Um, so, you know, you think about, uh, you think back to the situation in 2015 with England um, and the way that ended so disappointingly and I ended up interviewing him last year and, you know, he, he constantly brings that up how it was um, obviously part and parcel of, of, of coaching and setbacks and disappointments but it still hurts him a lot I think Leinster has been a obviously been a real refreshment for him. Um, he's enjoyed working with a, a very elite group of players and had brilliant success, I think. And uh, he takes the disappointments um, badly as well. I think last year's Champions Cup final loss and, and the semi final in the URC was was incredibly disappointing, obviously for him. But you know, I think. Uh, it's it's kind of speculation, does not, but it's not a surprise for me that number one that somebody would come looking for him, and that maybe if he does decide to go, that you know you couldn't argue against him maybe changing changing his position. Maybe you know I always thought he'd go back to international rugby, and um, would that would be a big attraction. But Rasting are a very big club, and, and financial package there would be very very strong as well. So. Um, and for him to kind of take sole control of a team, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that happens again. So it's down to his success and Leinster's success. And uh, um, it's obviously, you know, he hasn't been offered or given a, 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 a contract extension. I don't think, or he obviously hasn't um, been in a position to refuse that. So maybe Leinster will offer that contract and it might not happen. But... It's, uh, if you're, it's certainly if, big news. If you're, um, there's two aspects to it. And th- so the first one on that exact point, Quinny, if you're the IRFU slash Leinster looking at all this unfolding, is there an opportunity now to go, listen, it's Friday. He's going to be having these Zooms over the weekend. Let's get in contact. Let's try to try to firm something up here. Let's get a counter offer. Is he, would you be pushing, uh, pushing the boat out? Is he that important to make sure that he's locked down? Well, I think it's, it's, um, yeah, he is incredibly important um, to Leinster and, and has done a great job. But I presume his agent would have, you know, you, you have agents for these things and they have conversations. So um, sometimes, you know, just look at Leo Cullen's situation himself, signing a one-year deal and, and, and he's done that for a couple of years. Um, sometimes people are pretty relaxed about not kind of, um, about, you know, getting to this time of year and, and, Traditionally, this is when players start signing contracts for if they're up the following season, and it's the same for coaches. It's not like, you know, in soccer in the Premiership where you're you're a year and a half out and you're signing new contracts. I suppose that's because they they get into that free contract situation, and they can move for nothing, and and there's a fin- big financial implication. But um, yeah, I I think I, I let's not be naive Adrian, to think that Leinster or the RFU there hasn't been discussions about this. They wouldn't just be blindsided with this situation. Um, so we don't know the exact details there. I'm sure that if, if if Stuart Lancaster wants to extend his contract, I'm sure the RFU and Leinster would be very happy to do that unless 
there's some sort of yeah. ambition for change and and stuff like that. So yeah, I would. Um, you know, maybe maybe they've got to if if they if they really if Leinster really want him to stay, they've they've got to you know get on it now a bit more aggressively. I would imagine. Um, Johnny Sexton obviously retires uh, or possibly retires um, depending on how much you believe what Leo Cullum was saying the other week at the end of this uh, at the end of the World Cup um, it seems like he's a guy obviously who had a big reputation early in his career for being a bit cranky with teammates and you know a bit of a barker around the pitch but that over the last number of years he's morphed into a slightly different personality that might be more aligned with let's say a senior coaching role at uh, at a club is there any possibility that um, once he hangs up the boots that you know a position becomes available he knows the culture he's driven the culture between himself and Cullen and uh, Lancaster over the last number of years that he'd be an ideal fit in so many ways Yeah I'm sure he would um, you know I was having a conversation with someone the other day about about coaching and um, look a lot of a lot of good players make very good coaches but some good players don't make good coaches um, so, are you, th- you, know, are, you, you are you are you thinking he wouldn't? No, I'm not. I'm just I'm just saying that it doesn't necessarily mean um, it's always a risk for any player coming out of the game, no matter how good they are, going straight into coach a team because of the familiarity, the lack of experience. It's a different type of role. Um, some players can do it. You know, Anthony Foley did it in Munster. He came straight out practically. He actually went in with the academy and the A team for a year or two. Um, Rog obviously went off to, to, mm. to France. S- some people do it. You know, Sean O'Brien has come out of, of London Irish. He's gone in, uh, you know, as a coach for Leinster. Um, but for, for someone like Johnny to step into the Stuart Lancaster role, could he do it? Of course he could do it. Um, I think he's practically. <laughs> You know, similar to Ronald O'Gara when he was at Munster, he's coaching a lot of that stuff anyway, and he's stuck in the middle of a lot of the, you know, the sessions and the the vocal stuff and, and in in those sessions and and the, t- and the way the team trains. So of of course he could do it, um, but you know, it, there is always a risk because of that familiarity and one day being a player and the next day being a being a head coach. I'm not saying it can't be done, but Again, it's it's kind of like hypothetical because you're kind of thinking, you know, Leinster make a decision on this. It's if Stuart Lancaster leaves, would Johnny Sexton be someone that could step straight in there? Uh, yeah, I've no doubt he could. Um, it depends what the player wants himself. Maybe he'll want to do something different. And but you know, sometimes these opportunities happen in your life where something happens for a reason, and there is an opportunity. And you know, if he was retiring and step straight into that role, I'm sure um, it would be, you know, it could really work for both both the club and uh, and the player. But, um, you know, undoubtedly he, he, you know, you look at Draco, um, I always thought Draco would be a coach and could be a coach. And, um, you know, Paul didn't do it for a couple of years and uh, after he retired and he's making a great job of it now. So it just depends what the individual wants themselves. Do they want to break from that environment and go somewhere else or possibly go straight into it? But um, I think the transition would be pretty seamless as regards, you know, knowing the culture, as you say, and that's really important and knowing the standards. Um, But, you know, when you're friends with guys and close to fellas, that Mm -hmm. close, it can sometimes be risky. Yeah. Um, when we look at the, the action we've obviously uh, at last some games to talk about as well Quinny obviously round one of the URC done Ulster I presume probably the only one that are really satisfied after the opening weekend how impressed with Ulster were you? 
Um, yeah, well, kind of double-edged sword, impressed with Ulster, but disappointed with Connacht. Um, mm. I think Ulster certainly went, look, and they've shown it in the last number of years, and we've consistently been speaking about cons- uh, their consistency and you know being able to back it up in really big games. They're capable of that kind of performance against anybody in, in, in Belfast. And when I was ta- talking to... You know, to Jared Monday morning about it. I think I was thinking after us was that was I a bit was I a bit harsh in Connacht because you know the other provinces could, could go to Belfast and struggle there when they kind of get their mojo going and they get in the front foot and they get tempo in their game. They can do that kind of stuff to teams. Um, they're capable of it. Um, they're you know when they get their tails up, they're very very dangerous. And when you look at where they finished the season, I think they would have probably. You know, beating Munster convincingly in that quarterfinal, they should have beaten the Stormers probably. In, I, I think they should have laid try in the semi final. They could have easily been in a final um, of the URC. Um, as always, the challenge for them is 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 up front and that physicality and that physical battle. Um, but it's very early early days for all these teams, Adrian. I think uh, Dan McFarland certainly be really pleased with the start. I think it was great to see Luke Marshall back as well. He's had such a stop-start couple of seasons with injuries. Stuart McCluskey was brilliant. Um, Nathan Doak, I think, is is really maturing as a player. And you know they've got a lot of young players coming through. Balakpun is back. Jacob Stockdale had a few brilliant touches. So if their forwards deliver on a consistent basis to, to, to the backline that they have, they've a lot of dangerous players out wide and. Uh, Obviously, it's going to be a different challenge from this week going to the Scarlets, um, who themselves. There's there's some similarities about you know the, the type of game that they're capable of playing both sides, you know, scoring a lot of tries with conceding scores as well, and um, you know, so I think it was a really good start for them, definitely in in an inter pro game where Connacht have gone there in a couple of times in the last couple of seasons and won. So I think um, certainly. Um, you know they can build a bit of momentum from this, and um, you know be confident going going over to Wales at the weekend. You mentioned Connaughts there. Do you give them any hope over the next couple of weeks? Because obviously they have to go to South Africa. They come back. They have a quite horrendous run of fixtures in general. And from the last game, I don't know. I didn't put a lot of faith in what you might get out of them. And how how do you come back from that start of a season as well if it does go as badly as it looks like it might? Yeah, it's it's very difficult for them, and and you think confidence-wise, um, look, it was always going to be different, difficult start for them going to Belfast, and it's a really tough, tough start for them. You know, having to go to Belfast, play Ulster, and then go to South Africa for a couple of weeks. But sometimes, and I listened to Peter Wilkins talking about it the other day, and Andy Friends, um, you know, they have an opportunity maybe to galvanise themselves. The South African teams at the moment will be missing some of their Springbok players. Um, obviously, that's a little bit different from the second half of last season when all the South African uh, teams were very, very strong and they had all those international players with them. So, um, yeah, I think they've got to kind of pull the, pull together. Um, Connacht, you know, play a really good brand of rugby and they're very exciting to watch. Uh, but they've got to get their fundamentals right. They're particularly scrum line-out and, and, and that breakdown and you know, they struggled last week at the breakdown and they were physically kind of out-muscled. Um, Ulster did a lot of damage with their maul. So, um, you know, for Peter Wilkins and Anthony, and Andy Friend, um, they have a couple of players coming back. That will certainly boost them. 
they have their you know emerging Ireland players who will join up with Ireland in South Africa so at least they get to play with him as well so I think they have a chance uh, certainly have a chance but you know it'd be great for them if they can win one of the games in the next two weeks but you know against the Stormers tomorrow I think it's 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 you know they need to get something out of that if they don't get the results they need to play well they need to get a little bit of confidence built up again and a bit of a feel good factor back within the team and and uh, not panic but you know we know these games they can run away from you very quickly you know you suddenly could be six or seven games in and Connacht are scrambling for a win Um, they want to get into Europe and want to be in the playoffs as well so um, next couple of weeks are really vital for them for sure Mm. You could say some of the same stuff about Munster and we'll come to the activity on the pitch in just a minute, uh, Quinny, but definitely uh, wanted to mention as well that the Irish Independent have been reporting today that Chris Farrell has stepped away from um, Munster. It's a very serious issue. Um, to quote some of the piece here by uh, Shane Phelan in the paper this morning that... Uh, uh, he he's saying that they've had a statement from Munster confirming that Chris Farrell will not be involved with the team while French uh, legal process is ongoing and this all relates to um, as they say his involvement uh, with Munster uh, rugby uh, stepping away from that after cases against him and four other rugby players were referred to a French criminal court following allegations uh, that a young woman was raped uh, he isn't accused of rape but is facing an accusation of not stopping a crime along with another player and then there are four um, uh, other players who um, are facing uh, more serious allegations. So with all that in the mix, um, as I said, Munster Rugby have issued a statement. They say that Munster Rugby and Chris Farrell have agreed that with immediate effect, he'll be stepping back from his involvement with the Munster squad while legal pro- uh, proceedings in Fra- uh, whilst legal proceedings in France concerning his alleged involvement as a witness to an alleged crime in 2017 are ongoing. As this is an active legal matter before the French courts, we've no further comments. So that's the statement given to the Irish Independent um, from Munster. It's a very serious matter and um, a very straightforward set of events in terms of him stepping away, Quinny. It is, and, and um, it's obviously pretty alarming to situation for everybody involved. We've got to be very careful of what we say here. Um, I think I just read it, read about that last night. I was I was shocked. Um, because I know he was questioned a couple of years in that and uh, years ago when that happened and um, didn't have any um, investigate or didn't have any allegation of, of being involved in it, it, at the time. But So I'm a bit shocked that this has come out. I know that that's, it comes from an investigation last year where uh, it's a separate investigation where um, he's alleged to have not stopped a crime. So I don't understand enough about the situation but um, when the trial will be how long he'll be out of rugby um, and it's obviously uh, merited a situation that this could go on for a while and that he he could have a problem here or you know he's got to defend himself in whatever way um, his legal team see fit so um, it's 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 obviously alarming news to say the least that Mm. you know he's this situation has cropped up and again I just saw it late last night so I don't know I didn't uh, I'll, I'm going to try and find out more obviously yeah. how, how long the, when, when is the trial going to be how long is he going to be out of rugby but obviously we've got a you know there's there's a lot of people involved in this and it's it's certainly a sensitive situation so yeah. um, 
Um, you know, and I don't know when the trial is going to be or when this is going to play out. But obviously, Munster have seen fit, and Chris Farless seen fit to say that you know he has this is a challenge going forward, and obviously he has some something. You know, he's got to you know defend himself, and that uh, being in around the, the Munster club and playing matches is something that they don't see uh, him capable of doing at the moment. Yeah, and that is uh, that is a reasonable stance, and we obviously have history in our relation to this uh, general topic matter on this island. So um, it's not as if it's brand new territory, and uh, we shall follow it and report on it as uh, events unfold, as you say, in terms of dates and that from the French courts. Um, talk to us about there was some of the aspects in relation to Connacht that you were talking about, about the the scrums and the lineouts, and certainly in a Munster context against uh, Cardiff last weekend, some stuff like missed tackles, um, maybe generally just not as sharp as you want. Obviously a lot of Ireland players to come back into the mix how long before we can start uh, critically analysing the Munster coaching ticket that, that's a really good question Adrian because um, I, I definitely think we have to and Munster fans alike have to be patient this is going to take a little bit of time I think um, to play with the type of tempo and energy that I think the new coaches want um, I think you know, there's a, a complete change in the way they want to play. And I think we saw glimpses of that last week in their kicking game, in their shape that they were trying to achieve throughout the, you know, throughout the uh, multi-phase, um, even our first and second phase, just uh, the different lines of running and stuff like that. They got some of that stuff wrong. There's no doubt about it. Um, players in the backfield were getting isolated. Um, number of monster players ahead of the ball carrier at times. Um, and then they lost the breakdown. So I think there needs to be patience. And how long do we need that patience? I think was your question. Mm. Um, it, I, I think you, I think you've got to you've got to see glimpses of improvement throughout. You know, as you go on. So in other words, going to the Dragons at the weekend, the 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 drop balls that that we saw a lot of last weekend. They need to get that right and just protect the ball a little bit more because. Aside from any sort of game plan change, changing stuff that's going on, simple catch pass has to be executed. And, and unfortunately, last week then they made they made the game difficult for themselves by turning the ball over themselves in in crucial areas. And then in turn, you know, Cardiff put a lot of pressure on them in the second half and caused them issues at the breakdown. So if they look back at the video and they see that maybe there's nine or ten situations there where you know even fifty percent better in those situations, well. You never know. You might have got a try or two out of that, um, and so I think we've got to see an immediate improvement in in the ball skills, just the catch pass stuff, and not to turn the ball over. The defensive stuff that you mentioned, I think that's just some shape. Look, Finney Mitchley, very very powerful guy. He's a very physical player. He, on that first tax, tackle on Max Llewellyn, he he just doesn't hit and stick. I think and. Uh, Cluellen does really well and gets away and scores a try I think the other ones from the set piece Alex Kendellen had a heavy knock um, a couple of minutes before that and looked dazed to be honest and Munster end- ended up taking him off shortly after that anyway um, on another day he's up 10 yards closes that space and that, that gap for Cluellen again isn't there and I think the last one is just it's a three on three and I think it's poor defending so They'd have been disappointed with the, the tries they conceded. But on the balance of play, Cardiff were probably the stronger side. And, uh, you know, if Munster got a win there, I think Cardiff would have been really, really disappointed in what they did. 
they probably had enough possession and pressure and moments in the game to win it but Munster could have come out of that game with a win I think they got themselves back into a great position so there's something to build on there uh, they certainly have a lot to work on and I think the patience is probably you're probably looking at a half a season you know up to Christmas to with a view to you know really going God that's absolutely brilliant the change and what they're trying to do it's going to take a little bit of time because their pre-season would have been pretty short I think they had two breaks in that um, integrating the players back in lots of chopping and changing in pre-season so you know maybe we'll see some you know positive steps uh, in the next couple of weeks but I think it's going to take a few months yeah um, one last one we've uh, one comment in from HC saying Raj for Leinster which I think we've long established is uh, probably not going to be all that likely he is going to be serving a six week uh, touchline ban uh, he disrespected the authority of a match fit official uh, during the uh, La Rochelle uh, game against Leon a couple of weeks ago so he's uh, got a few weeks to cool his jets Quinny is he getting an off the ball ban as well for, <laughs> for a couple of weeks uh, yeah sure look he's um <laughs> Uh, he'll kill me for smiling about this, but that's what I did when I saw it. I knew I knew he had uh, something coming up, all right? But um, he's very emotional, and I think maybe you know he. It's not for me to tell him what to do, um, but he's got to probably be a little bit more careful because I think opposition coaches will try and rile him as well. He had that uh, issue with Urias, the Bordeaux coach, last year, and um, mm. you know I think we all get frustrated with referees at times and, and you know when he's down close to the touchline like that and um, some of the decisions can be baffling but he's probably got a got a temper he's emotional a little bit bit, bit better but um, yeah he's probably is he banned now from actually going to the game just touchline he's, he's got to be up on the touchline band so he's got to be up on the stand so yeah he'll have a few weeks to cool off so yeah we'll, uh, we'll probably catch up with him at some point over the next few weeks uh, Quinny thanks William Cheers. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks a lot. It's gone uh, quarter past eight. It's Friday morning. You're watching OTBM. And a reminder that Brayburn Coffee proudly display uh, <laughs> they're our official coffee partner right here at, uh, at OTB. And uh, each week we're giving one lucky viewer a 100 euro voucher to spend on some Brayburn Coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you. Um, and it is good stuff. I can, uh, I can assure you that. Uh, to enter, you can check out our uh, Off the Ball Twitter account. Um, and you'll see all the details up there. You just like and retweet our Brayburn uh, competition post and you'll be in the draw. Brayburn Coffee never compromises on quality or taste to give you the best on-the-go coffee experience on the road. And it's available at an Apple Green uh, near you today. OK, it is uh, 17 minutes past eight. It's Friday morning. We've loads still to come. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, football with Tom English a little bit later on ahead of the Ireland-Scotland game, obviously, tomorrow night. Uh, but after the break, we're going to be joined by the Kerry legend Kieran Donaghy in studio to chat about a huge international basketball event coming to Dublin. Uh, this winter it's the Mac Dublin Basketball Challenge and uh, before all of that Leo Cullen talking about those uh, strong links between Stuart Lancaster and Racing Well we talk all the time yeah like you know always during this, this, this season so like you know you think you're coming to this start of the season um, but like everyone's always making plans for the future and that's players and staff backroom team as well so you know it's like the, the silly season um, is there always you know up until a point where you know, things get finalised. So we're in, going to be in this period of speculation, shall we say. Um, and we can't comment on other people's speculation, you know what I mean? So, um, But there's always these pieces going on in the background. Uh, we're very lucky that we've got a 
very strong group, you know, some great people in our building. Um, and that's credits a lot of the work that goes on over the last number of years. So uh, we're very lucky in that regard. The reality is, though, there's lots of other clubs that look at some of the talent, whether that's players or coaches. And that's something that we have to deal with all the time. Um, and people make different decisions at different stages. So, um, but it's and that's you know we're, we're trying to talk about one person specifically um, who's been amazing since he's come into into the group. Um, yeah, but like again, like that's we're just commenting on speculation. So it's you know how long have we got here? Um, but um, yeah, we just deal with all these cases individually um, you know, just the nature of it, like generally people are signing not much longer than two years so we're always, it's almost like every year there's 50% of your coaching and playing roster are off contract so you just got to go through with that so, um, and you know that's, like, that's part of the evolution of the team it never stays the same, you know, we say it towards the end of every season where you know, you're coming to the end of a season, but like that group is never going to be the same again. Like, you know, if you think like Dennis Lee, he's now down coaching in Munster, uh, Felipe, you would have seen involved with Argentina during the Rugby Championship, and you know, there's other players have already started their careers in other teams. A few lads playing for uh, Connacht up in Ravenhill last week. Um, a couple of lads you've seen run out in extra jerseys as well. So, you know, that's just that's just the part and parcel of the business that we're in. OTB AM. 20 past 8, it's Friday morning, you're watching OTB AM and thanks William for joining us, do keep uh, your comments coming in, delighted to say that uh, we're joined in the studio by two very special guests it's all ahead of the Dublin Basketball Challenge it's coming to the National Basketball Arena in November Rich Esner, who's the MAC Commissioner and all around uh, Irish sporting legend Kieran Donaghy, uh, you're very welcome to the studio lads Thanks Israel, thank you, thanks William for coming in uh, Rich, tell us, uh, for the uneducated like myself, what's it all about? Well, we're coming in town here with uh, eight basketball teams from the United States, Division One NCA programs, four men's, four women's uh, from the MAC, and then we play the uh, Atlantic Sun teams, which are a, a competitor conference of ours located in the southeast. They're mostly Florida and as far west as Arkansas. So uh, it's a preseason tournament. We do a lot of these in the States. you got to get your team ready for conference play, and so... Uh, this is an opportunity to bring our athletes over to uh, Dublin. Get them. Many of them have never traveled before. Uh, they're all 18 to 23-year-olds, and it gives them that international flavor. And hopefully they do some good things here with, with the children and, and the, in the area and encourage them to stay involved with sports and education. Mm. And so there's two games on the Sunday, on the Saturday, two games on the Sunday. It's men's and it's women's, and it's live on ESPN. It's a, it's, it's a, a deal. It's a big yeah, deal. We've been here with our friends from ESPN for the last three days. Michelangelo is traveling with me, and we just had a site visit and did all the work, uh, preparation for the broadcast. Yeah, so we'll be live. Uh, pri- primarily on ESPN Plus and 3. Mm. I don't know how familiar you are with the networks here, but those are both digital networks, and they have about 34 million homes that watch them regularly. So it'll be a lot of exposure for the teams, mm. and more importantly also for Dublin, because as you know, uh, sports tourism is becoming a big economic driver, and I, that's part of the reason why you see people putting on these events. Yeah. What's the attraction of bringing it over to Dublin? Like, why was this the place that you picked if you could go to any European city? <laughs> well, I'm from the Northeast. Uh, 
about one out of every three people is that is Irish blood in them, you know. Uh, so I have my mother-in-law is is an O'Callaghan from Cork, so you know we have ties and and like myself, a lot of the coaches and players do as well. So and our schools are rooted in this area. Iona College is one of our schools. Uh, we have Manhattan College, so they're all pretty well known. Uh, Manhattan College is where they do the Gaelic football in uh, in the states. So. Uh, you know, we have a lot of ties, so it is attractive. And, uh, the Irish welcome to Rich. It is indeed. You like that Irish welcome. <laughs> I have to do my accent when you say <laughs> Not when you're recording. You can, you can save that for a wedding. Yes, yeah. we had lads. <laughs> um, how excited should we be about it, Kieran? Give us a bit of a sense of like, you know, what we can expect in terms of the play. <clears throat> uh, well, Rich and Garrett Maguire and, and Mark Mulholland, who I played with on my Irish national team when I was 16 and 17, uh, they had two of these events in Belfast. Um, that I was a part of in 2017 and 18 and they were unbelievable events um, it's just the level of basketball like it's a pre-season tournament but it counts on their record so like they're coming over here and it's the one thing the beautiful thing about college sport much more than what we'd probably watch more of which would be maybe NFL, NBA but I would always watch the college basketball as my number one sport in America because these kids are out here there's no hidden agendas they're just they're playing for their college they're playing for their scholarship that they've been offered and and it's do or die basketball it's, if there's a loose ball on the floor NBA game regular season fellas will look at it here you're going to have people diving into the crowd trying to save it, save the ball um, it's it's just it's, it's a great event it's really well run I, lovely as a dad of three girls as a girl a proud girl dad to see four uh, ladies teams over here this year so there's four sessions uh, two sessions a day um, and you get to see a, a, a men's and, and, and a women's game. There's a, a 50-piece marching band that's going to be over. So, you know, you've been to the American sports. They love the trumpets. They love the place rocking. Uh, the National Arena is a class venue, a uh, really uh, intimate venue. It's going to be packed on, on, on all two days. And it's just a great level of basketball. And lucky to be having it coming here. Like, I've been a kid watching ESPN, watching the classics in Hawaii and all these places mm-hmm. that they're on. So to have it coming to, to Belfast was lovely, but to bring it uh, here to Dublin is is amazing. And there's an event in London the week after, all all through uh, Inspire Sports. So it's 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 a really good event if you're a kid. And basketball is so popular now as well, Adrian. You know it. When I when I was uh, on the Kerry team first, it was kind of nearly looked down. Uh, people's noses because I was a basketballer slash but now like every Gaelic dressing room every footballer everybody knows about LeBron they're getting the stuff through their phones every morning basketball's growing massively in the country uh, you see it in our leagues how competitive they've got over here and um, yeah this is a lovely tie-in for it yeah well the full court press has suddenly become a GA expression not a basketball expression it's yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah definitely adopted that, that exactly what, so, so Rich the, the, ste- the steps for the kids that are coming over here in terms of their, their ambition, obviously, is getting into the NBA, WNBA. Is that and well? Yeah, I think you do see that a little bit, Adrian. Uh, but they're also very. It's very important in our league that they get educated and get a degree, because frankly, only a handful of athletes in our country get on, into the NBA every year, mm. and we're not at that level typically. We send a lot of players into the European leagues, and uh, and that's where you'll see them uh, end up. So, no, for us, it's really about getting an education and getting uh, an opportunity to play college ball. And then if something happens where they can stay and, and play further in Europe, it's great. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I got involved is because uh, when I first met Gareth McGuire about seven years ago, I came over to check on some of our victory scholars. And they were, placed, they were athletes that were placed in a, any number of the schools, including Trinity and uh, 
So we uh, we did a little tour, and as we were walk- driving across the country, I said, you know, Garrett, the, you know, you should really think about doing one of these preseason events. It would really be a great cornerstone for you to have and then build your regular season competitions afterwards. So that was really the germination of that particular uh, uh, idea. And we've done a lot of these events in the States, too. We won, we've run one at Thanksgiving time uh, in Orlando. It's called the Orlando Classic. It's a real big event uh, at a much higher level. But uh, this is a great. Uh, this is going to be a great event. You're going to like to see the women play as well as the men. Or one of the women's team, Marist College, went to the Sweet 16 in the NCAA yeah. tournaments. So you know they, they they're pretty good teams. And of course, my alma mater, St. Peter's University, uh, they went to the Elite Eight last year in the NCAA. So that was a big moment for me and the MAC. Mm-hmm. So, great times. Yeah, mm-hmm. four games in each day. I totally undersold it earlier on. There's, uh, there's full value for your 25 quid, Rich. This is uh, <laughs> inspiresports.com, by the way, if people want to go, go along and get tickets. You mentioned about getting into the community. Is that part of the remit that there's an opportunity to engage the local community to get on that? Yes, ladder? indeed. Yes, yeah. indeed. Uh, Kieran, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's <clears throat> the Victory Scholars that Rich said that he came over to keep an eye on six or seven years ago, uh, they play in the Irish Super League, the, the Division One League in Ireland. Um, but not only do they play with their teams and they train with them at the weekend, but they also go to the colleges to do their masters. Mm. But then they really get out in the community, and that's what Mark and Garrett have, have really emphasised: is getting them out there, uh, getting them out, inspiring kids through sport, which is which is the big message. But obviously, basketball being, being the sport is key. It's it's such a good sport for boys and girls, and really easy to kind of. I think for a kid, you know, to throw a ball up and see it go through a hoop, it's very addictive, very quick, um, and and it's a sport that you can play all year round. It's not weather dependent. You're indoor, you're warm. Thing I like about it most. Yeah, you just rock up and you know, put on your shorts, and you're not going to be out there freezing like I would be in a football pitch some days or getting sleet slapping across my face sideways. But uh, yeah, they do unbelievable work in the communities. I've seen it firsthand. I've been in Belfast, seen the work they've done there uh, on both both sides of the border, and um, they, they, they're absolutely brilliant ambassadors for the game. And and they're great kids, Rich. Like from from my interactions with them, they're. They they come over here to really their remit is really trying to better themselves, but trying to enforce in the community about how important sport is and where sport maybe has taken them from where they were to where they are now and where they could go. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'm, sport has has opened so many doors for me, um, basketball and football. Um, from just dedicating myself to it, and I guess these guys' messages to the young kids around Ireland is: listen, if you're if you're struggling, you're not finding your way. Invest into into sport, and it can bring you in a really good way. It shows you how to, it involves you in teamwork. You know, every business in the world is com- is based around teamwork, and uh, no better way to tr- uh, to show that through sports. So. But it's a great event. Like the the games, the the level of the basketball, the atmosphere that will be created in the arena in a few weeks' time. Um, that's what it's about. That's why I'll be looking forward to bringing my girls up to it. And I know there was a lot of people came from Tralee up to Belfast for the last one. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of them going to Dublin to see that level of basketball. We're a basketball mad country, and to have this coming to our doorstep is a huge opportunity. And uh, I can't wait for the for the two days in the buzz that'll be around it. Yeah, and the eight schools that are here, they'll all do community uh, engagement yes. pieces. They're going to visit the schools, mm-hmm. do, a, uh, do a talk about staying in school, getting educated, as well as playing sports. So they're all committed to doing that. And then on the Friday morning sessions over at the arena, we're going to have Kids Day, where basically we're going to be bringing in 
uh, busloads of the young people from the a lot of them from disadvantaged areas will be able to come in and see probably the first basketball game in in person. So that's the kind of commitment we've made. The teams have made, and it, it's it's very common in the United States to see this kind of involvement by the athletes. They they're really very sincere. And it's not just basketball. I, the MAC runs 22 sports championships, okay. for, you know, across the board. So, uh, so uh, they're all involved in, on our campuses and in our communities. If you, like to get a, <clears throat> I, I've spoken about this before on the show, but my earliest buzz of a game really was the was the time where Chile won the league in '96 in Chile, and it was the complex and it was a packed house. And the thing I remember most about it was. And the Americans have, have taken this to another level in terms of putting on a show for people, but this is what the kids are going to get that Friday that they come, and obviously then Saturday is going to be, is going to be jammed as well. But going to a game, they came, the lights shut off in the Trilly Sports Complex, how they did it back in the day without the mobile, but the lights shut out, the spotlight came on in the middle of the floor, the eye of the tiger came on, the players came running out with socks, throwing stuff into the crowd. We just, I like from that moment just completely hooked on the game but that was a huge part of it so what Rich is saying there with these kids that are going to come down on the Friday like they're going to be in there and they should be going away going mom can we get a basketball where's the closest hoop and that's what you want yeah. you want them to, to go down that road rather than uh, uh, a road that's you know uh, that we don't want our, our, our kids going down so that's what that's what they're trying to do here Okay, well, inspiresports.com for people who want to go along and get tickets. Did you say games on the Friday and the Saturday, four games a day? We get the information right eventually, and uh, <laughs> people can go along, go along and get their tickets for it up there. Um, nearly forty years young, you're still at it. Yeah, still at it. Yeah. What are you? What are you still at? Um, you're you're going. You're going. Don't, to don't tell the wife, but I'm back playing football and uh, with the club, and yeah, getting ready for preseason. Now uh, our league is starting in. Um, Two weeks with a with a local derby against Kilarglen in a in a packed really sports mm-hmm. complex that uh, they seem to always match us up in the first day of the season because I think they know they'll have a, a rip roar in the in the complex in Tralee. So yeah, we're we're all systems to uh, to the pump there. Um, uh, you know, for for us, um, we 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 did the double last year. So. Um, uh, Jim Garvey, our, our sponsor, is. We promised him we'd get the cup maybe at the start when he came in sponsorship, but the six years gone, we finally got it last year. But unfortunately, no, he's kind of kind of putting the pressure on to make sure we go and do back to backs. And yeah. I'm kind of like going, it's kind of doesn't mightn't work that 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 way. But we got a great squad. Uh, Owen Quigley is on the Irish national team. He's with us. Uh, Daniel Yokobitis from Lithuania, who's been in Tralee, who's adopted Tralee guy. He's been there for f- four years now. Um, myself and Fergal O'Sullivan are the two elder statesmen. We're back, but we've got a host of new young guys coming in, um, including Irish international. I've only 17, but uh, an unbelievable athlete. So we've got a lovely core group there um, that we've had in, in Tralee, full of kind of Tralee kids, and, and, and obviously we'll have our pros. We've got a, a, an American in, Dre Jackson, class player, actually played in the league last year with uh, a team in Galway called Mary. Um, and and yeah, we've got some uh, European guys then as well. We've got a big guy um, who's got the same second name as uh, the league MVP in the NBA, Jokic. So we're calling him the Joker, uh, even though we don't know how funny he is yet. But he, he's got <laughs> that Setting nickname. Hope he likes that name. <laughs> yeah, uh, and we uh, and we got a guy from Sweden, Mitch. Um, so like, yeah, we we're, we're really looking forward to the year ahead. And and yeah, it's it's two weeks and it's going to be kicking off, and it'll be all systems to the pump and. 
little championship game on, on, on Sunday with the stacks, uh, so getting ready for that as well. So yeah, I'm busy, busy at the moment. You're regular Tom Brady over here. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't have I don't have uh, six six foot seven guys standing in front of me, Rich. Well, I think you've, I think Rich, you've nailed him there. I think that's yeah, uh, what, Stop is, it. whatever about what your other half has said to you. What's the body saying to you about uh, about all this activity? The body, the body isn't bad. Um, the body isn't bad. So I was kind of I was back preseason with the basketball maybe six seven weeks ago, um, not making all the sessions because we're we're busy w- with my job as well. So, um, but we're into the kind of uh, the do or die stuff now in in the mm. championship in Kerry. So uh, it's it's all hands to the pump. We've we've unfortunately picked up a lot of injuries from. Having won the county championship last year, we we played our last game in the club championship against the Crokes. So we're coming off the pitch, and an old fella said to me, "We're missing eight from the county final team. You're one of them." He said, "You've no excuse, but we've seven injuries." And I was kind of like, "Going, going back in the car, going seven injuries from our starting team last year." So I felt, uh, I felt um, that maybe I ordered to the group to go back and help with training because I was in there doing a bit of coaching. So I said, "Look, I might as well be out there galloping around uh, and trying to help them that way." So um, yeah, I've had a good. Kind of five or six weeks and starting to feel a bit better about myself on the pitch because um, I'd thrown away all my gloves and a lot of my gear and kind of I was I was I was well on the way to to, to not playing anymore. But uh, look, it's it's enjoyable. I'm, I, they're my own people. The club is very important to me, and um, probably haven't done what we did last year. It's feel like it's kind of important to go back and 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 try and uh, help them out with, with with the amount of injuries we have. Yeah, it's the, the old credit. Credit to you yeah. that you can do that. And yeah, I'll do what I can, way. Rich, but yeah. soon I won't be able to. I'm pushing 70, so I don't know. You've got a few minutes in your know. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm very impressed. Uh, <laughs> the old fella doesn't know what he's, uh, what he's uh, set in training. Yeah. What, so go, go back and give it one last bash. Is that the uh, kind of yeah, yeah, like Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I've, I've, I've been playing 20 years with the club now at senior level, so it's... Um, you know, I know I, I've come on the last two games with ten minutes to go, and that that probably will be my role. But with the way the injuries are going, that that could that could change. So we've been unlucky. Uh, Joe Connor, our Kerry Kerry player, who was going to make a big push with Kerry this year, unfortunately he's had a bad knee injury. So um, he'll be he'd be a really big loss to us, and we lost our up and coming corner forward Keen Purcell the last day with, with with a similar injury. So it's just a, a bit of bad luck, uh, kind of these freak injuries that happen. The game is. Is a high contact game as we know, and um, just going through a bit of a run of it now. But just trying to get fellas back, our captain Dylan Casey from last year is trying to come back. Um, so yeah, we're just trying to kind of get the pieces together. We've our last group game. We won our first two, so we're into a quarter final. Mm. So this last group game on Sunday against Mid Kerry will decide who's top and bottom. I think so. Uh, it's a big game in that respect, and then you're into win or go home stuff after that. You're into quarter final, and obviously, look, you know, there's, there's there's a lot of good teams in the competition at the moment, including East Kerry, who are locked and loaded to to, to go on and and push for it. Very but, impressive um, looking, yeah. Yeah, they're impressive looking. Yeah, they're a good team. Thing with basketball too is you, you can build a team around a few players. You yeah, know. yeah. It's yeah. not like a football. And yeah, need a bit sports, of luck. Yeah. Need a bit of luck with. Yeah, with, with, it was uh, interesting that you mentioned that because we had this week where Dublin announced that McCaffrey and Mannion were coming back, and everyone was like, "Oh, have they? Are the Dubs now the favourites for the mm. All Ireland next year? Mm. Kerry are they behind?" Then Kerry the next day were like, "Aha! But we've committed Tally, <laughs> and he's going to stay around in the coaching." And it felt like a bit of a one-upmanship. How important was it that Kerry actually got him to stay for? Yeah, I, I think it was. Important because his his role.
whole um, along with Jack and, and and what they did this year was was huge in in terms of like you know how solid they were defensively. The amount of goals they conceded, both in uh, league and championship, was was really good. Um, I think they got the middle of their defence going really strong with Jason Foley at fullback and Tyg Morley at six. Um, you know, you've Tom Sullivan who's been an All Star a number of times. You've him knocking around at, at left corner as well and and really attacking. So. Paddy, Paddy, obviously coming from Tyrone, and I wouldn't pigeonhole him into being a defensive coach. From from who I've talked to, he's a really good all-round coach. So, but I know that would have been a focus point of him going in there to, to solidify Kerry, and and I think he did that last year. Um, and and obviously, when you have a guy who comes in along with the manager as a player, when you're looking at that group and you're going to win the All Ireland. All you want as a player is nothing, you know, maybe someone to come in, but you don't want to lose anybody off that group. Um, so it's an important move by Kerry uh, to make that happen. And, and I know Jack would have been very keen that after the job they did. So it's a, it's a big one that they got him to stay, yeah. And with the two lads that uh, Catherine has mentioned, what's the. Everybody's kind of thinking now, like the, the race was pretty even anyway, but the two lads coming back nearly tips the balance in, um, in, in Dublin's favour. Although I saw Colin Keyes writing a piece during the week and he was saying that this is exactly what Kerry need. Those two lads back in the Dublin team, no complacency now about Kerry. They've, they have their target. It's like everybody's talking up the dubs and we're going to come and get you. Suddenly they've talked themselves into an underdog position almost. Hmm. Yeah, they have. Yeah, um, look, it, it, it's big by Dublin, no doubt, to get the boys back. And you know, they're, they're only thirty years of age; they're still probably coming into Oops. their yeah, they're still coming into their prime, um, and they're two unbelievable players. Um, so that will really strengthen them for Dublin. They look at the game last year against Kerry without Khan and how close that game was. Um, and all of a sudden, if you throw those three rockets into into the middle of it, um, into the middle of that squad, it will bring them on hugely. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think there would have been much complacency in Kerry uh, with Jack involved. You know, I think he's, I would say he'd be, he'd be strong in trying to do a back-to-back. You know, he was unlucky in 2005 when, when Tyrone beat us in a, in a cracking final um, uh, and, and he won at no six and he was gone. And then um, he came back in 2009 and won it and then we had the disappointment in 2010 against Down so I'm sure Jack would like to kind of do a back-to-back when you see what Dublin did with getting six in a row uh, back-to-back doesn't seem so significant but I'm sure um, the Kerry team and, and Infilas I don't think they would have been complacent but it's no doubt it's sharpened the focus of not only Kerry but everybody else to make sure that they come back and hitting the ground running because um, Dublin will be really strong next year and, and if they shoot into favourites you know there'd be no one saying that they shouldn't be it's mm. it's you know them you're talking about two all stars you're talking about players that have been nominated for player of the year and um they will they will improve them big time yeah, yeah incredible players you know, what competing about in any sport so hard to, it's ha- yeah exactly you know, exactly yeah, you know it sounds easy it's just not yeah you yeah. think you've got the team yeah. but see there's hunger levels there's ambition levels there's egos come into the dressing room there's all that kind of stuff um and, and it's hard to do it back to back and you know that's why you look at what dublin did getting the the six was incredible really truly incredible what, uh, how do you reflect on 2022 yourself? Like it's uh, from an Armagh point of view, I can see that you'd leave it going, oh, we're just that close. But yeah. also, like the positivity of running, I mean, there was literally nothing between yourselves and Galway. Yeah, you know? yeah no, I, like the boys did really well. Like that was, you know, their first big championship game in Crow Park and to go down there and, and put on that kind of a show when, you know, the game didn't go great for us. We started well, we went through a very bad lull before half time and again midway through the second half and then we were. A bit unfortunate with Greg McCabe, who went out to try and, and um, try and get a good shoulder and a turnover, and it was just a bit unfortunate that the speed the ball players were going at that there was a slight collision with the heads and you know uh, a tough call. But 
you know, by the letter of the law, the ref uh, was, was right in his call, given the red, even though when you looked at it live, you'd be like, oh, great hit. Yeah. And then, but when you slow it down, and, you know, obviously we, don't, we, we, can't ref it, we can't ref games by slowing them down in cameras, but the call was right. And in, in, in the end, you have to, when you're going for your shoulder, you have to watch where your head is going. So it was, it was, a, it was a bit unlucky, but to lose a player like Greg, who's so important for us, uh, rattled us for, for a big period in that second half but you know he, tremendous credit goes to the players for um, you know it was it was it was it was done like we were, we were six points down when the game was injury time and just a refusal to quit by the lads there was no science behind it there was no it was it was solely players not giving up and it shows a great amount about that group that they were able to come back like that and and force extra time and and not only force extra time but to play well then in extra time and really look good but i think the Killian McDale Killian McDade performance in that second period of extra time um w- w- was incredible you know his goal his powerful running um you know that ignited him back into the game, and then he got the point when we were a point ahead to bring it to the penalty shootout. Like that point in the 122nd minute when your legs are gone and you're rampaging through three or four uh, orange jerseys, and, you, and you're off to your right, which is a hard kick into the hill end, and um, you know a really great score to get them the momentum nearly going into the penalties. You know the way when you come back, if you get a last minute goal, yeah. it takes you into penalties. Everybody's feeling a bit better. Uh, and they went down and uh, a tough situation for everybody involved and I did it the year before at the club it's it's a tough it's a tough place to be when it's not something you're used to when you're standing with five year brothers that you've trained with all year and you you've you've thirty of your of your pals behind you looking on and you've to walk down in, in front of eighty thousand and take this kick uh, so it, it was a it was a tough way to go out as a group but um, considering the disappointment after the Donegal Ulster Championship game. You know, the rest of the year, you know, our boys really played well and 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 did well for themselves, and and you know, could you could feel the belief in the group group growing growing as 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 was going on. So they'll take a lot from they'll take a lot from that from sure, and uh, uh, they're they're a really good bunch of lads. And um, I was just disappointed for them that it would end like that in 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 penalties. It was it was a hard one to to go away from because you're kind of going. Are we better than them? Are we not better than them? We lost in penalties, but what the, you know, they, they just got the result. But uh, Galway showed, exactly. Galway showed how for real they are. The job they did in Derry was so impressive, and they're 68 minutes against Kerry. And you know, I'm looking up at the clock at that game, kind of going, this could go absolutely anyway. The way they were playing, um, Shane Walsh carried the can, obviously. Um, Jason Foley did an incredible job, and Damien Comer, which was probably the winning of the game for Kerry, because if Comer had a had a got loose or wriggle free for for a few of those scores, it would have been a would have been a hard one for them to come back in. But that's how good Galway were. So um, good for our fellas to know how close they were. I like how you negotiated your way around the passion on the sideline for the Armagh, uh, yeah, the Armagh team as well without, uh, without fully engaging <laughs> that one. Listen, I look forward to seeing you. Thirty uh, nine year old Kieran Donaghy showing the Cliffords a thing or two, and uh, he's, uh, he's <laughs> might be at opposite ends of the pitch, but we'll be keeping no an eye pressure. Uh, thanks, million for coming in. No Great to see you again, thanks, Rich. Lovely to meet you, and I best of luck with the uh, event. We'll uh, send out the details about how to get tickets for that on our social media accounts as well. So thanks, million well, for coming for in. Fair us. play. Righto, it is uh, quarter to nine. It's Friday morning. You're watching OTB AM. We've still. Uh, plenty of chat to come about Ireland Scotland tomorrow night as well Tom English uh, will be with us in just a little bit you're watching OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day we're going to be live with Ashling uh, from the Irish Open next the KPMG Women's Irish Open and uh, first of all here is Ashling talking to Leona Maguire the star of the week of course uh, who's well in contention at the top of the leaderboard and a reminder that all the golf on off the ball this week in association with KPMG Women's Irish Open take a look 
Leona, you're just off the course. How are you feeling? Five under at the minute, a score of 67. You're in a good place in the first day? Yeah, nice. always nice to start off with, with a good round and got a few birdies out there, made a few silly mistakes on the front line, but overall pretty happy with my round. On the first tee, it was a double bogey is what it came up for us, but then it was actually changed to a bogey in the end. Did you hear anything about that or did, did you see anything along the way? No, I mean, golf's hard enough without done more shots, so... No, I mean, I was just, I, I didn't look at any leaderboards, I didn't look at anything all, all day, so I was just trying to shoot as low as I possibly could. Yeah, you seem to really find your rhythm, especially maybe after the 10th the hole, it was really solid, um, and you had three birdies then in the end. Yeah, nice to finish with three three in the last four, there's some good chances sort of there on the last few holes, so you really want to take advantage of them, and some good momentum heading into tomorrow. And how did you find the course, were there holes in particular that were a bit tricky? Yeah, I think the front line was playing a touch trickier there sort of at the start. The four and five are probably two of the harder holes on the course. But no, I mean, there's there's a good mix of holes out there. There's some good chances which you have to take. And then there's a few trickier ones that par a good score. And the sun is beaming down at the minute. I know that helps that it wasn't lashing rain. I know it was this morning, but it cleared up just in time for when you teed off at about five to one. Yeah, I know we were blessed. Um, it got a little windy and a little gusty, which made it a little bit tricky around by the lake and stuff. But no, I mean, it's this is summer in Ireland in September, so we couldn't really ask for much more. And talk to me about the crowd that followed you around the whole day. There was, I think, over a thousand people that followed you around. It was just incredible to see. Yeah, quite a bit more people I thought than there would be today, um, especially for a Thursday. So nice to see everybody out and um, nice to have a few birdies for them to sort of entertain them a little bit. You're feeling good going into the second day. What's the plan this evening? Will you do any putting or is it just rest? Uh, go to the range, had a couple of couple of drives, didn't quite drive as well as I would have liked today. And um, yeah, bed early and, and up early again tomorrow. Which was I happy? There is uh, Leona McGuire chatting to Ashling after a round yesterday. And Ashling is at Tremont Castle uh, for us all this week. Good morning to you, Ashling. Ashling, we can see you. You can't e- hear us. Is that... the Right, we'll come back to Ashley in just a uh, moment's time because, uh, as you can see, um, just need to get that line sorted. And we'll have chat to Ashley about um, all things golf. A thousand people uh, following Leona around um, is amazing. It's uh, great that the crowds have turned out because we chatted about it on the show yesterday, but there's so much money, but three million quid pumped into the course over the last few years. And the fact that it's back after a 10 year absence and the fact that Leona was there and it looked like for a period maybe that wasn't going to happen. Um, that's that's the ultimate result, and the fact that she's doing well could be uh, could be something special brewing down there this week. Yeah, it's exciting, and like I, admittedly, I'd actually known not all that much about it in the lead up. But I'd seen about whether Leona was going to be there, whether she wasn't going to be there, and I think the fact that it went quite close to the line, whether she was going to turn up, the fact that that many people have still turned up to see her, and I saw like the photos you had of the course mm. and the different bits that Ashling's been putting up. Nathan shot. Let's. <laughs> Let's get that right. We gotta we gotta mention that as often as we can. Um, and even just the different bits that Ashling's been putting up on social media, it looks really good. And the first day seemed to go really well. It's an exciting tournament already. Mm. Um, there was lots of moves and changes, so I think it's great for the sport here. It's great. I mean, it'd be lovely if it became a much more regular event, and that if it even if it moved around Ireland a bit more and promoted women's golf here a bit more because we do have these big names and I think sometimes we don't appreciate that as much because they don't play here all that often so you know people aren't getting the opportunity to get up close and personal with them Um, so yeah I mean it looks like a great day it's probably one of the few times I've ever actually thought to myself oh I might go watch some golf (laughs) (laughs) well having no choice to watch some golf this week uh, Ashling, you're back 
I'm back, I'm back. Can you hear me okay? You are coming in loud and clear. Um, uh, Leona talking about a thousand people following around. We've just been talking about everything in the melting pot brewing together nicely um, and really well like we chatted about it yesterday if she could just do well just be there thereabouts and the crowds will come so she's done her part of the bargain <laughs> yeah the, the crowds were something else Adrian like there was about a thousand people if not more following around and it was a Thursday you know during the week so to see that many people I think it says a lot of the amount of people we're going to see going into the weekend and when she spoke to me there she spoke about how shocked she was at, at the amount of people that there was but uh, obviously delighted to see that many people out and I suppose at the start she she had a bogey on the first tee uh, but she didn't let it affect her whatsoever and then she birdied the third and yeah you could feel it and you could hear the the, the noise from the crowd here um, after ball and castle and then she just found her rhythm I think she had like the super run on the six seven and eight hole she got three birdies in a row there really found her rhythm on the 10th was really solid and then birdied the 18 so she was putting on a little bit of a, of a show a bit of entertainment for all those people that were going along with her and yeah she finds herself now tied six position five under and just two shots off the lead so i think perfect position to be in going into day two and she just teed off there at half eight so she's already out on the course what are conditions like today because i know uh, when we were down there and the rare occasion i can actually talk about having played the course uh it was an amazing uh, morning and and really lent itself to according to the pro- professions anyway an ability to score low and the two pros that we played but we're talking about like geez but yeah when you want to be getting out they were looking at the weather forecast and trying to get out um if you could when it was nice and dry what's it like down there this morning yeah it's dry at the minute because yesterday morning and um, when i was speaking to you it was bucketing down and it continued to bucket down until about 11 o'clock half 11 yesterday and leona teed off at five to one so that was perfect for her really you know it had just stopped it was still wet on the course of course it was but it, obviously not having that downpour and um, would have definitely been ideal for her because some of the girls that went out at half eight it it was touch and go whether it was going to be delays or, or worse having it cancelled so thankfully that wasn't the case and at the minute it's dry and I think they're expecting rain maybe around four or five o'clock so um, at that point Leona would be finished up so yeah it looks like at the minute that the weather could be in our favour today Right in our favour well that would be uh, another added incentive for people to get down there over the weekend as well um, we've been following your progress on, on social media as well yesterday over the course of the day and people can do that again today and uh, over the weekend um, to exactly find out uh, particularly we're really interested in how the Irish players are going on and a bunch of amateurs as well trucking along nicely yeah there is indeed yeah um, one in particular 16 year old um, Marina Joyce Marino she started on the 10th hole yesterday and she got a hole in one on the 13th which was a par three so it was incredible stuff for her there was great celebrations and cheers around that hole for her because it was it was an unbelievable shot where um, and obviously to do it at 16 years of age out here among professionals um, her dad is is from the north of Ireland she is a Spanish based golfer but she is an Irish amateur and she, yeah she is definitely one to watch out for um, in the future she her best finish I suppose this year top 10 finish in the under 16 amateurs and European Young Masters so yeah definitely one to watch and also Aideen Walsh I mentioned yesterday um, she is an Irish international as well she is leading in the amateurs here at the moment she is one under par with a score of 71 and she's 24 years old a local school teacher here in Ennis they gave her the week off to go and play and uh, yeah she's uh, she's doing really well out there and she's loving all the crowds that are following around so yeah it was it was great to see them doing so well too 
That's great. And I know you were chatting as well to uh, one of the English players who it turns out, had, I think she was saying at the end, she had some Irish, uh, Irish links who's right in the mix as well, Annabelle, uh, Annabelle Dimock. Yeah, Annabelle, yeah, she is sitting in tied third position at the moment. So just to give you a little overview, I suppose, it's current. It's Ina Bockfist and Alina under it was score 65. They had nine birdies out there yesterday from Lena and eight for, for Alexander. So it was really impressive stuff. And Annabelle, who you mentioned, she's along with Clarice Bulkova from Czech Republic and Annalise Caudel of France. So yeah, they're in tied third position position and just one shot off the lead so it was a brilliant start for them because they did have those difficult weather conditions but I spoke to Annabelle and she talked to me all about the course her Irish heritage and yeah just how difficult it was out there in the downpour but you just have to put it to the back of your mind and and play your own game yeah all right well we will leave it there and keep an eye on things over the course of the afternoon as well thanks million Ashing. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Ashley O'Reilly there at uh, Dromogan Castle uh, Golf Club for the uh, second day of the KPMG Women's Irish Open. And you can uh, keep full track of that across Off the Ball Channels over the course of the day. It's five to nine. Uh, we've big acres still to come. A uh, really interesting weekend of football for Arsenal. It's going to be a record breaking weekend by all accounts with the North London Derby. And uh, we will talk to him about that. Such an interesting uh, character with an interesting story as well. So that is still to come at five to nine. It is time uh, to turn our attention to the action at Hampton. Park tomorrow and delighted to say that Tom English uh, football writer uh, joins us on the line morning Tom you doing good um, just reading a few of the back pages this morning about John McGinn and he's given it all the brave heart stuff about the uh, defeat to Ireland earlier in the year and you know how they need to set that right it looks like it's just a matter of how many they're going to beat Ireland by Tom <laughs> yeah well they weren't uh, very brave of heart uh, against Ireland in Dublin and uh, it was a lamentable performance. I think what he was talking about there was that uh, that really affected this uh, this Scotland team. Um, they knew they were they were taken to the cleaners by Ireland, and it was embarrassing for them. So I don't think um, I don't think anyone is thinking. Although the result against Ukraine the other night was really good, and the performance was excellent. I don't think anyone has taken this for granted at all. No, they've already been burnt very badly in Dublin. So I don't think. I don't think they're going into this one lightly. I can yeah. guarantee you that. They're on a, a similar-ish kind of trajectory of building themselves up almost on ourselves and maybe no different either, almost in England in some ways. The the sense of the jeopardy of these international windows uh, in terms of the manager's position um, and, you know, post that Ireland loss, post, post the Ukraine loss, there seemed to be a bit of pressure building on Steve Clark and whether he was up to the job uh, or not. But Wednesday night has really, um, or has Wednesday night changed the, the mood of a nation? Uh, it has, yeah. Like the mood go- before the Ukraine game and before the Ireland game in in the summer was very, very good. Scotland were on a really good run. Uh, then they hit a major bump in the road. They threw in that performance against Ireland that no one saw coming. And it kind of shocked everybody that they were that bad. Everyone thought that Scotland had moved beyond that. But certainly Wednesday night has restored a bit of faith. Uh, it was really excellent. It was an excellent performance. It was 3-0 going on 5 or 6 Admittedly, against Ukraine, who were missing Zinchenko through injury, missing a couple of others. But it was still a good Ukraine side. And uh, Scotland wiped the floor with them. Uh, and everyone was very surprised at that, too. But you look, I mean, you look at the Scotland team. On paper, they are a good team. Mm. Um, the te- 10 of the 16 players who played against Ukraine play in the Premier League. Another one played in, plays in Syria. Another one is a Celtic captain. And another one is Scotland's player of the year last year. So... It is a good group of players. Everyone in Scotland is is kind of anticipating that there's something 
very, very good coming down the track for this group of players because they're still average age the other night was 26. But they've got to prove it. They've got to bang out consistent performances. They were doing that before June. Then they had those two horrible losses. And certainly they look to have put the wheels back on the bike on Wednesday night. You wrote after the Ukraine game that it was great to see Scott McTominay in midfield and how important that was and that you hoped he was going to stick. Do you think Steve Clark will stick with him there? Or and It was clearly successful for them. Yeah, I hope to God he does, Kathleen. I mean, you know, everyone, everyone in Scotland just, just kind of winces when McTominay... Clark likes to play a back three. Uh, he played a back four the other night through necessity. He didn't have that many centre-halves, a lot of injuries. Um, everyone wants Scott McTominay to play in his natural position, which is the centre midfield. He was exceptional the other night, absolutely bossed the show. But when Clark moves him back as a right centre-half of a three... He's, he's, he's got his weakness there. And Ireland ruthlessly exposed his weakness there in Dublin. I think he will play uh, in the midfield from now on. I hope he does. Maybe it's hope over expectation. But I think I hope he does play there. He's, Scotland are a much better side when he plays there. Um, and I would imagine that he will be there uh, tomorrow night. I was uh, making the point earlier on that it's interesting that uh, Cassie Mayro's arrival at United is going to end up with Stephen Kenny getting the de- getting the sack, which is uh, an unlikely an unlikely turn of events. <laughs> well, he's keeping he's keeping Casemiro out of the Man United yeah. team, McTominay, and he's had dogs abuse. You know, as one of their own, he's probably top of the queue when it comes to abuse being dished out by the Man United fans. But he soaks it up. Um, he's like a human sponge for information, as that's what they say, and he also seems to be a human sponge for punishment because. He's had he's had terrible stick throughout his time at Man United, more or less, on and off. But he's on a, he's in a terrific run of form at the moment. Yeah, and like when you look at the, uh, I mean, maybe there's uh, clunky comparisons with John McGinn in some in some regards as well, because he obviously plays really well the other night. Uh, he scores, and it certainly uh, made me rush to think why you know um, why this level of performance isn't uh, isn't continuing at club level and and maybe more question marks I don't know is he being is, is the view that he's being held back by Stephen Gerrard that actually the John McGinn that everybody sees playing for Scotland is a better is the best version of him and um, that that's ultimately down to Gerrard or what's the view on McGinn no like the view on McGinn is that he's he's eulogised by the fans at every opportunity even before a ball was kicked on Wednesday night they were singing the Super John McGinn mm. song um, like McGinn is a is a he's a curi- curious player. He puts in performances that are make you think, "Gosh, this guy should be playing at higher up the league than Aston Villa." And then he puts in other performances. You think, "Oh no, Aston Villa is actually his level, and maybe even beyond his level." Mm. Against Ireland, he was awful. He was awful. Gave the ball away constantly. Um, and was a major problem for Scotland. But the other night, certainly since after when he got the goal and beyond, he looked brilliant. He looked like a he looked like a, a Champions League player. So he, he kind of... I still don't know what to make of John McGinn. He's, he gets these goals. He's, he's a terrific goal-scoring record for Scotland. He is the talisman on so many occasions. But his performance level is it's, it's not as consistent as it should be. What do you think Scotland are going to see as the problematic areas for them in the game against Ireland? Like, where, where are the bits that Ireland can look to target to get a result on Saturday? Because I'm not all that confident that Ireland are going to get a result. I think Scotland are going to <laughs> manage yeah, to well, do it. 
You probably would have said that in June as well. Uh, I, I certainly said that in June. I thought Scotland would win, and how wrong I was. Um, like I, I think the mindset is a big thing with Scotland. Um, if you look at that performance in June in Dublin, uh, they were so passive, and Ireland had a kind of rage for victory that blew Scotland away. Ireland's backs to the wall, and they delivered a very, very big performance. It was similar to that for Scotland against Ukraine. Their backs to the wall, uh, and they produced a big performance. I think. I think if it's, it will only know the point of weakness in the Scotland team once we see the team. If he puts McTominay back into the defence, which I hope he doesn't, from a Scotland perspective, probably hope he does for an Ireland perspective, then that's a point of weakness for sure. If Tierney is not playing, there's talk that he might be rested because they need him to play against Ukraine next Tuesday. Scotland without Tierney is not the, is not the best version of itself. He is the best player. Tierney is Scotland's best player by, by a distance, actually. And he just does something to the rest of these players when he's in the side. So if Tierney is rested, that's an area that's got, uh, that Ireland can exploit. But with Scotland, as ever, it's all in the head. It's all in the head. They've produced, under Steve Clark, they've produced brilliant performances and they've produced horrendous performances. And we know that they have the talent to produce good performances, but have they got the mindset to be that ruthlessly consistent from here on in? We thought they had up until June, then they got they got hammered by Ukraine, hammered by Ireland, and everyone's going, hang on, this team is not where we thought it was. So I think a lot of it for Scotland is in, is in mindset, it's in attitude, it's in edge. And they didn't have it in Dublin, but they did have it on Wednesday night. Mm. And like it is, it is hard at that level to implement your plans. If you're Steve Clark, if you're Stephen Kenny, that the windows of opportunity to work with your team are obviously uh, tight. And Steve Clark was talking about the a lot of the what did he call it? Was it uh, boring work that they had done after the couple yeah. of losses in the summer and ahead of the Ukraine game? So was that the what, that boring work was? It seemed to be like lecture room stuff or whatever away from the training pitch, set piece stuff. Tom, or what's your understanding about what what that was all about? I think I think it was about shape. I think it was about shape of the team. Uh, literally walking through on the training ground the shape and it's not rock and roll but it has to be done mm-hmm. and I think the shape of the side was very very good against against Ukraine um, also set piece stuff I mean they get Austin McPhee is their set piece coach um, he's on the coaching ticket with Steven Gerrard at, at Aston Villa uh, he'll be delighted with two goals from, from two corners uh, so I think stuff like that but I think primarily shape because against Ireland they're shaped but they didn't have a shape you know, they, they was, I don't know what they were working on that week but uh, but they had no shape they were all over the place with massive gaps and Ireland were obviously terrific on the day um, the, the, obviously the, the, you mentioned about the set piece goals Ryan Fraser and Linda Dykes off the bench uh, Fraser two assists Dykes two goals like a master stroke obviously from the management team you take all the kudos for that afterwards Are they have they now played themselves into the mix for a start against Ireland or um, are they back on the bench uh, I think it's like it's a good question, and, and the honest answer is we don't know. Um, like you, the Ukraine game, Scotland can afford to to lose this game tomorrow. But if and if they beat Ukraine, then they top the group. Um, so it's it's difficult to know what Clark is going to do. He gives nothing away. Uh, he's he's kind of heroically kind of deadpan and stoic when it comes to this stuff. Seems like a war with journalists that, to get a line out of him, and he never gives a line. Mm. Um, 
But Hickey, I think Hickey, because because Nathan Patterson is injured, the Hickey starts at right back. Um, I think Fraser could well start just to shake it up a bit. Um, he is he's he's rift with with Clark as as healed, obviously. Um, and he comes off the bench. I think he was nervous coming off the bench. He thought he might be booed by the Scotland fans. He wasn't. And then he gets his two assists, and now he's a hero. Dykes' goal-scoring record. Dykes is a very limited player. Shea Adams is a, by far and away a better footballer. But Dykes' goal-scoring record for Scotland is really good, mm. relatively speaking. Um, he's only three goals short of the great Joe Jordan's total. You know, So uh, he, might, he might well start. I think, I think we're talking maybe three changes something like that. But Clark, so trying to second-guess Clark is a mugs game. I'm interested in what you said there, because you said, like, obviously Scotland can afford to lose the game, but and they're thinking about maybe resting Tierney so that he'll be able to play in the next game. But also that mentality is incredibly important for Scotland. Mm. Surely it's important to make sure that he plays and make sure that you keep that, I suppose, keep the good faith running and keep the, the game running. Oh, I hope he does. Scotland's perspective again. Um, um, I think it's a high risk if he does if he does rest Tierney. I think it's a high risk because, yeah, I'm saying look, Scotland can afford to to lose the game as long as they beat Ukraine in Ukraine in Poland. That's a that's a big ask. Um, uh, my hunch is that he there's there is a lot of chat that he might rest Tierney. My hunch is that he won't. He certainly shouldn't, in my opinion. Because, as I said earlier, Ireland or Scotland are a, are a different team when he's there. I mean, you know, he's, he's played left centre-back for Scotland. He's played left full-back for Scotland. He's played left wing-back for Scotland. Um, he could play left side of a three up front for Scotland. He's about four players in one, Tierney. Plus, he's a brilliant personality. Um, he is essential to Scotland all the best most of Scotland's best results over the last number of years are with Tierney in the team so to take him out would be a would be a big gamble you uh, predicted a Scotland win in the summertime so I'll invite you to do something similar there if you can uh, sign <laughs> off with <laughs> no problem 2-0 two, two to Scotland yeah oh, very comfortable Scotland victory <laughs> being, being the worst tipster known to man <laughs> and womankind and going for Scotland victory are you actually thinking yeah, I, look, I think if Scotland... We can't see inside these guys' heads, right? Um, <clears throat> but I think if Scotland's attitude is right, it's a home crowd, it's going to be a sellout. Uh, it was very noisy at Hamden on Wednesday. If, if their heads are right, I think Scotland win this game. I said that last June as well. Their heads weren't right. And Ireland were way better than I thought they were going to be, actually. Mm. But I think if yeah, I think if Scotland's got if Scotland go into the game with their ready for a battle and they weren't ready for a battle against Ireland in June, they were absolutely not ready for what Ireland brought to the table. If they are ready tomorrow night, I think I think Scotland should win this game. All right. Well, if you listen to John McGinn, they, they certainly are a pleasure. <laughs> Tom, thanks a million. Tom English, no the problem. BBC. Thanks a million. Enjoy the game at the weekend. Uh, and uh, that, uh, I don't know, are we going to talk to Nathan at some point? He hasn't uh, He hasn't reappeared since he threatened slash promised to come on the show, but earlier on, Kathleen. So he's still on the OTV jet. He is. He is. He's, uh, he's going to be uh, circumnavigating around Europe on that if he's managed to get his hands on such a thing. Um, it's, uh, what is it, 10 past nine, Friday morning. You're watching OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And here's what we've got coming up on OTB Sports Radio over the course.
course of the day. It'll be Dennis Ogie Moran uh, from one o'clock on OTB Gold. Waterford is the subject of Mount Rushmore, Rushmore at three o'clock today. Owen Heary, the Shelburne legend, is in the Team 33 League of Ireland slot at four today. And Keith Andrews meets Philly McMahon from six. That's all on OTB Sports Radio. You can follow uh, across our social channels. You can subscribe to the OTB, uh, OTB Podcast Network as well for all the very best and latest in sports content. So uh, that's where we're at. We have uh, football to uh, continue the show. We're going to be back after these with the legendary former Arsenal manager, Vic Akers. OTB AM. All right, it's 12 minutes past nine. You're very welcome back to the show. I'm delighted to say that uh, Vic Akers joins us on the line. Good morning, Vic. Good morning, sir. Thanks many for taking the call. Um, people will be very familiar with your story, Vic. Managed Arsenal women's team for 22 years, won 32 trophies, if I'm right, including a quadruple in 2007 with uh, Emma Hayes by your side. We wanted to get you on North London Derby this weekend. A record-breaking crowd expected at the Emirates, 50,000 uh, thereabouts. Could you have dreamed of this sort of stuff when you set out all those years ago? Well, that's what we did dream of, yeah. Uh, and it was it was a dream then, Um and obviously, over over the last sort of ten years, it's uh, it become much more of a reality, and um, and we can see where the game is moving. Um, it's going to be uh, exciting times in in the in the front of us, I think. Vic, you're going to the match at the weekend, is that right? I am. I am. Do okay. you think this boost is from like is it from the Euros? Is it just the way the WSL is heading? Like, what? Where are we getting all this interest from? Yeah, I think I think the Euros have, have really kicked it, kick-started the, um, the the sort of interests from more sort of male side of of the um, support. Um, it wasn't quite as much. I think families have, have grown and to to attend um, as as we saw in the Euros, the final, and there was no arrests, nothing like that, no trouble. Um, it was just an enjoyable uh, event and. And a wonderful day for everybody. I think as well the fact that, I mean, in recent years, it's actually become a proper North London derby in the sense that for a good few years there, Arsenal were hammering Spurs every time they played. They were putting massive scorelines past them. There wasn't the same bite there. There wasn't the same sort of competitiveness. And obviously Spurs have come on quite a lot in the last few years. And yeah. now it's a, it's a proper derby. I mean, we saw Katie McCabe in the derby last year <laughs> willing to go to battle for Beth Mead over some tackles that were being put in on her. What, in terms of the actual game at the weekend, do you think this is going to be a competitive one? Because obviously a lot of people are tipping Arsenal as potentially the only challengers to Chelsea this year in the WSL for the title. Yeah, as, as, as we saw on Sunday, the results didn't go go to plan for everybody, I believe, um, except obviously Arsenal and Man United of the top four clubs. Um, you know, Chelsea losing, Chelsea losing, Chelsea losing, losing in the end to um, to Liverpool was a massive shock and, and, and obviously Man City um, losing at, at Villa. So it's uh, it's going to be quite uh, an event this, this uh, time around, I think. And... Uh, Obviously, Chelsea have started exactly the same way they did because they lost the first game last season as well, um, but then recovered to to carry on and, and uh, win most after after that. Yeah, I think uh, there's yeah, a mad stats. Tottenham and Arsenal will always be a feature, um, hopefully friendly feature, because obviously, uh, you know, the the one thing you don't want is, is problems uh, them sort of games, especially women's games, which I don't think we'll ever get. Um, so. 
it, it's a it's a good event which I'm looking forward to personally. Um, and again, Tottenham have, have, have improved. Their, their results have, over the last couple of years have improved immensely. Um, and the club side has, has improved overall because obviously being incorporated then with a football club um, from the last five years or so is, is um, what everybody wants. It's, it's what we want in women's football. It's for major clubs to, to take on the mantle as Arsenal did way back in, uh, in, in the 90s. Well, everyone who knows your legacy knows some of the players that you scouted when you were there with Arsenal women. Obviously, there was Emma Byrne, Alex Scott, Kelly Smith, some incredible players there. Who are the ones that you look at now in the Arsenal squad that impress you? Well, <laughs> um, obviously, I'm not saying this for, for the sake of saying it because we're talking uh, to the Irish public. Um, but Katie, obviously, is is, is outstanding, um, um, as is... Um, the captain, she she was there with me as well. So, um, and she grew up with us as a as a, as a young girl. Um, she's going to be an outstanding footballer on and off the pitch. Um, and obviously, Katie hopefully can get the Irish side over the over the line as well to to make the, the World Cups. Will you be paying? Will you tuning in to our playoff match when it comes up in October? <laughs> Yeah, we tuned into that for sure. As we watched the previous ones, and uh, you know, quite uh, quite events. Uh, you know, it was a little bit uh, unattended the last one, I thought. But um, again, it's not the same in those sort of countries. Um, women's football, um, but hopefully, it will develop as 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 ours has. Well, it's something we were talking about just in the sense that they've obviously sold 50,000 tickets for the match at the weekend. It'll break the English record for WSL game if everyone turns up. But we've seen it here where we'll have a sellout crowd in our ground in Tala, but people won't turn up because tickets are quite cheap. So very much hoping that hoping that people do turn up to the game at the weekend and that everyone who is committed to their tickets does arrive because as you say it is going to be a spectacle the talent that's on show is incredible and there's nothing quite like it I was at the Emirates for the Barcelona games in the Champions League and even though it was pretty empty then I think there was only like 12 to 14,000 which isn't a lot of people Mm. in a stadium of that size the atmosphere was great you had the Champions League music playing before the lights were going brought a couple of I was working at ESPN at the time and some of the lads brought their younger daughters and they were just like overawed by the experience (laughs) they were like this is amazing Well, that's what it is. It is for most people, probably in the 50,000 that have bought tickets, um, and, and as you say, if they arrive, um, that's what it is. It's maybe a, probably a first-time experience of, of watching uh, a female game, and, um, and let's hope that we present, you know, the proper football that, that we can play. Vic, but that's both. you're still the only English manager to bring an English club to the Champions League title. Arsenal are obviously in action at the moment in it. They drew 2-2 with Ajax during the week and have to now go over to them and play. English teams have struggled a lot in the Champions League and I suppose a lot of people talk about the WSL, that it's the best league in the world. But even Chelsea, I mean, you look at them last year, you look at City being knocked out already this year in qualifying to Real Madrid. What do you like English teams need to do and I suppose specifically Arsenal to kind of bridge that gap because they really were being pushed during the week and I know it's probably one of the few teams we wish we didn't get at this stage of the of the qualification process 
yeah, I think um, obviously watching the game myself uh, here on TV, um, it's 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 the finishing at the moment for me that uh, is required um, to to upgrade. Um, we we seem to be able to make the, the chances, but um, not finishing them off, and uh, and I think that's a, a big failing at the moment. But um, I'm sure you know the manager will get the grips of that, and um, and hopefully. Uh, Get get that rolling, you know, because otherwise it'll be a long season. Um, I thought I thought the other team stayed in the game, you know, very well. Um, but having said that, I think you, they'll Arsenal will probably go there and win two or three goals. Vic, we're um, sort of it's a national obsession here talking about Katie McCabe and um, what position, what what her best position is. It's uh, it's a regular conversation for us here. You're watching her week in, week out, and the conversation here tends to base itself around whether she's uh, best positioned a bit closer to goal or try and get her up a bit further up the pitch where she can influence things a little bit at that end. And what's good for Arsenal might not be good for Ireland, of course. But what's your sense of um, Katie, the player now at this stage of her career, from what you're seeing week in, week out, and how she's best utilised? Yeah, I mean, from from the left side, obviously, um, that's where she needs to be used. Um, whether it's in a four or or in a three, the three probably would suit her for me more. Um, but Arsenal play her back four, so I th- I think she's better off to play in the in the left set, left side of midfield. You know, for me because she's she's closer to the other box, and uh, you know she is a threat when she goes forward. She's got pace and. And strength and energy, so that's that's what you're looking for um, to ignite the rest of the team, and and that might just get the goals that we're we're just talking about now. And you talk about getting the goals that are needed. Obviously, you have McCabe in there, you have Mead, you have Blackstenius teaming up with Miedema. Do you? Where do you see it coming from specifically in all those different partnerships? Because I think towards the end of last year, we saw Miedema and Blackstenius in particular teaming up really well. Blackstenius has had a particularly good start after not all that great a Euros, although it was just a difficult Euros in general, I think, for Sweden. Yeah. Where do you see those goals coming for Arsenal? Yeah, I think, I think you know, I mean, Beth, Beth, obviously after the Euros, for me, you know, I like to see her just getting pick up the mantle and, and carry on the way where she was and uh, and uh, if she can really discover that, that goal scoring form then I think uh, she'll, she'll be the one that comes out of this uh, in uh, in more goals for for the club mm. and as Adrian said we are obsessed with our, our Irish players and you worked with Emma Byrne back in the day she obviously she does quite a lot of work with us here now talking about football and assessing football and she's a woman who doesn't mince her words she knows exactly what she wants and she, she says it was she like that back in the day when you brought her into the squad? Yeah we had a we had an absolute wonderful group um, and Emma was paramount in that obviously you knowing what she's like and um, she grew up in, in, in that sort of way with us and was the best goalkeeper in the league without a doubt and um, at that time probably goalkeepers were not so good in the air but um, Emma was outstanding in the air and uh, she did an absolute marvellous job for the football club and uh, I was delighted that she played for our club 
And when you were scouting these players back in the day, because obviously it's a very different setup to what it is now. I mean, you can watch multiple games across multiple screens. You There actually is television coverage of most of the top leagues, but you didn't have that fortune, but you still managed to bring through like some of the greatest players of that generation and obviously had incredible success with them in the team. Yeah. What was that process like at the time? Made easy for me because of what I had in 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 the players, as you say. I mean, Emma, Kira, Yvonne um, were all in that group of two thousand and seven. Um, Neve Faye was um, was around just prior to that. Um, so I, I think I added them up. The Irish girls that I had in was probably around about ten girls um, in in the in the early nineties and beyond. So uh, it's it was it was a good it was a good stage for me to um, to pick up talent in Ireland. I and remember I, when I was. I had in... a good friend. yeah. I had a good friend there, Pat Duffy, and um, and my sort of um, happy place was um, was Westport, and we mm-hmm. we travelled over, took the team over, and played in a little competition um, over a long weekend there, and and the people were fantastic to us. And, a lot of Arsenal supporters down there and if they're listening now I want to wish everybody all the best and uh, good friends that we made there Vic we'll have to get you over again for a reunion tour in Westport I think would be quite good to get the band back together (laughs) If Pat Duffy is as well you'll be over over next week Vic (laughs) That's right yeah Pat Pat will have me back in but uh, we we had such a good time it was lovely and and we brought the side over as well to, to play the national side um, at one point there, and uh, I think we played at um, where did we play? Can't remember now. Might might have been Shamrock Rovers ground or somewhere there. But uh, but that was that was a good event as well, and um, you know everybody you know thoroughly enjoyed it. So uh, we had at one point also we had all four captains uh, in the team. We had uh, Kira uh, Grant from from the island. Um, we had uh, Jane Dudlow from Wales, uh, Faye White, England, and uh, famous Scottish centre forward as well. Um, A very impressive squad, all in all. And yeah, Julie, Julie Fleeting, obviously. Yeah. And Vic, obviously you were on the women's side, but you were also there for the men's side through some pretty impressive years. Are there any big moments that stand out to you there? Yeah, obviously the the biggest moment, probably um, the unbeaten season. Um, Those lads were fabulous lads as well. It it reminded me of my girls' group in Venice, Um, the the camaraderie and everything that we had. Um, And we were all so close and... uh, yeah, I think I think that was uh, the big standout point for me. Then still have friends there, Patrick and, and Dennis. I still speak to and Thierry Henry. And you know, I was I was at a funeral yesterday and speaking to some of the other old boys as well. Um, Nigel Winterburn would be in one of them, and uh, it was just nice to to be uh, be seeing boys like that after all these years. And do you still get to many of the games? I get to a few of the games, yeah, yeah. I gave my season tickets up last year because um, um, different reasons, but um, uh, I still get get to go 
And certainly to the girls' games, I'm I'm always invited to uh, to the box for that. Uh, as I was, I'm the president of the, of the ladies football club. Um, so yeah, that, I'm looking forward to tomorrow, um, and I'll look forward, hopefully, to some more evenings there as well in in Europe. And to put you on the spot, what do you think the result is going to be from the North London derby? I've no doubt what the result will be, but um, <laughs> obviously it's got to be Arsenal, isn't it? So uh, you know, um, for them to lose to Tottenham on their on the on their home ground, I don't think will be too popular. But uh, no, I'm sure I'm sure the Arsenal will win tomorrow. Suspect you might be right, Vic. Great uh, to spend a bit of time in your company over the last little while. Thanks, Millie, for joining us. My pleasure, Adrian. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Vic Akers on the line there. What do you think is going to happen? I think Arsenal will win, but I do think it will be tight. Yeah. I think they'll be buoyed by the crowd, by as Vic says, being at home. I mean, losing to Spurs in front of 50,000 for the oh, first yeah. time that's ever happened in the WSL. I don't know if any of them could show their faces again after that. So I, I know I think so, like Spurs last season started particularly well, um, but kind of petered off a little bit. They just didn't really have the depth or the talent to go for the whole season. So I think if they're going to catch Arsenal at any time, now is the right time. But definitely with the new side, well, with just the general squad and the fact that they'll probably be smarting a bit after that 2-2 against Ajax during the week, I think Arsenal will do it. You might be right. The um, We're going to talk to Nathan in just a moment's time, but I do want to uh, remind people about um, the developing situation at Munster Rugby. They've now put the official statement on their website uh, this morning and uh, it reads, the below statement has been issued by Munster Rugby and Chris Farrell. Munster Rugby and Chris Farrell have agreed that with immediate effect he'll be stepping back from his involvement with the Munster squad whilst legal, legal proceedings in France concerning his alleged involvement as a witness to an alleged crime in 2017 are ongoing. They say, uh, to wrap it up, as this is an active legal matter before the French courts, but we have no further comment. And this was all in relation to a story that developed by Shane Phelan, the Irish Independent, um, over the last 12 hours thereabouts, uh, to report that Farrell had stepped away. Uh, they had been in contact um, with Munster about all this, and it all relates to cases against Farrell and four other players, which have been referred to a French criminal court following allegations that a young woman had been raped, and it dates back to 2017. And um, Farrell's uh, the allegation against Farrell is that uh, he was um, witness to that, and um, that is a. Uh, that is that is ongoing and um, obviously there are other players involved there and this will all take its uh, course over the next little while um, that uh, Farrell was n- not accused of rape it must be said but that he was facing an accusation of not stopping a crime so Munster have issued that statement on the website and we felt it important to bring it to your attention uh, this morning that has come up in the last uh, couple of hours uh, right, we are almost uh, time with John Giles to come before we leave you this morning, but we are going to turn our attention back to the football. We were chatting to Tom English a little bit earlier on about uh, how Ireland might fare at Hampden Park uh, tomorrow night, and there for us tomorrow will be Nathan Murphy. He's currently en route somewhere. Where are you? Just stepping off the private jet, Adrian. Um, <laughs> it's my luxurious lounge. Found the most beautiful spot in this great country uh, as a background. So here we are in Glasgow. Glasgow. Very good, very good. What's the what's your brief for the next day? You business or pleasure? Busy, oh, all business, all yeah. business. I'm uh, going to meet Darren O'Dea a little bit later on, who's uh, very involved with Celtic's underage system at the moment and their B team, and working very closely with Ant Fossipoglu and the first team as well. So we're going to 
chat to him about he how he's getting on at Hampden Park and uh, look ahead to the game with him as well. And then uh, Ireland arrived in yesterday, so they trained this evening. Stephen Kenny's going to have a press conference around about five o'clock. Then they'll train at Hampden Park tomorrow, or straight after that, ahead of the game tomorrow. So we get an injury update. It's obviously been a very clear week for Stephen Kenny, a rare one in that Andrew Omnibamadela is the only player who was. Uh, picked up a knock and is going to miss the games. It looks as though, aside from that, he'll pretty much have a full squad to choose from. No doubt. Uh, you'll be putting Stephen Kenny at that press conference later on. Your utterances from Monday's show, I was I was amongst the many that were uh, mildly shocked by the fact that we thought this conversation about Stephen Kenny's future had been uh, tucked away nicely, never to be, well, not to be seen again for the foreseeable future. But suddenly it's uh, it's all back in the mix, Nathan. You've, you've sparked a national conversation about whether this is the right management team or not. Sorry, I, I, I absolutely believe this is the right management team. What I, the point I was making was that these things, as we've seen from previous international windows, can turn very quickly if you're not getting the right results. I still think Stephen Kenny has a contract at Euro 24, and what we saw in the last two performances means they should really be kicking on over these two games, and we will all be looking ahead towards that qualification campaign. But we know that if Ireland were to slip up, that you know, the uh, question marks would be raised again, particularly, I think, you know, with the way Scotland played on Wednesday night, they are expecting a victory tomorrow night. There would be no great shame in that from an Irish point of view. Uh, but at home against Armenia, like, that's where we really want to see Ireland kick on now because, by and large, Ireland's best performances have been against the better teams. We think of the two games against Portugal, particularly away against Portugal, away in Serbia, even right at the start away in Slovakia, the friendly against Belgium victory against Scotland last time out away in Ukraine, all real quality performances. The struggles have been against the likes of Luxembourg and Azerbaijan at times, and obviously away in Armenia. So I think what we really want to see is a strong performance, hopefully a good result tomorrow night, and then kick on and a comprehensive victory where Ireland control the game, where we're well on top on Tuesday night at home against Armenia. So, listen, I don't think Stephen Kenny, I don't think uh, after the last two performances, he's under any great pressure. The point I was making is that the uh, track record of international breaks is they start one way and they end a very different way. Yeah. Uh, and look, the nature of it as well uh, tends to tends to uh, spark that conversation regardless. And like, I mean, almost a likely set of results is that we, you know, draw tomorrow night. I mean, we could end up one, losing one. the game. Draw 1-1 yeah. one, one tomorrow and win 2-1 win, win on Tuesday night. It's, it's the second one that's the important one. That's the one that potentially uh, sparks that conversation a little bit, uh, a little bit further. What's, what should we be watching out in terms of team news and um, potential selections for tomorrow night? What's your sense of the, uh, the key decisions that Kenny has to make? I think he's only got a couple of key decisions. Uh, one is at centre-back. So it's probably one out of Shane Duffy, Seamus Coleman and Darrow Shea in that back three alongside Nathan Collins and John Egan. I feel that Duffy is probably ahead of the other two. You know, He only missed the Ukraine game because of suspension. He's got his best form back for Ireland. He obviously hasn't played a lot of football, either has Seamus Coleman. But Scotland were very good from set-pieces on Wednesday night against Ukraine. So you would expect that Duffy will return even to just counter that. And the other big decision then is what sort of an attack he goes with. Uh, Michael Obafemi and Troy Parrott like, linked up as well as any strike partnership, probably since Keenan Quinn in the home victory against Scotland. Obafemi is having some issues at club level, uh, whereas Chidozia Bene, who a year ago was the yeah, coming force, he dropped out for those last two games. But he started the season brilliantly at club level. So that's the little balance of, I think it'll be two from those three, Parrot, Ogbena, 
and Obafemi. And I just wonder, with the last performance here in Scotland and the link-up play between Obafemi and Parrott, does he stick with those two? I think aside from that, it'll be Bazunu in goal. I said a back three with Collins and Egan. Matt Doherty will come back in on the right. James McLean will keep his place on the left. Jason Malumby probably still just ahead of Jeff Hendrick alongside Josh Cullen in the middle. And there'll be a spot in there for Jason Knight as well. So, listen, he's in a good position. We, we know what Ireland, like every game, three, four, five changes because of injuries and other issues. Actually, for once, Stephen Kenny is in quite a strong position and he'll be going out all guns blazing, whereas we heard from Tom English. There are some suggestions that maybe Scotland might go with a little bit of rotation uh, for this one. Looking at the Scottish papers, Adrian, uh, again, it's, I know you touched on it, all John McGinn, the daily record. Mm. Time to avenge Dublin disaster. Also just inside an acknowledgement of something I've long been uh, saying about John McGinn's arse being the most effective arse in all of football. And uh, John McGinn was asked about this uh, by the BBC. By the BBC of all people. That's Tom. He said, I always say, if I didn't have my backside, I'd be at Eoval or something. No disrespect to Eoval. I mean, if he didn't have a backside, I suspect <laughs> he might, <laughs> he might uh, be doing something Adrian, else in his life. Adrian, the back pages, it's, it's the front pages they should be really worried about. Scotland the grave. Scots die earlier than anywhere else in the UK, and it's getting worse. Well, I thought it was going to be some Queen-related uh, segue that we had, we had on the... I'm just glad it's not that. Uh, very good. Good man. Well, listen, you uh, flat wide, I presume, sort of kick back there, pretend you're doing a bit of work, and this you're, you, you insisted you appear at the show this morning just so you could you like basically well. let all your you colleagues know that well. you were busy. Exactly, exactly. Um, the Adrian Barry, straight out of your face. <laughs> good man. Well, look at go, enjoy, and uh, look forward to your updates over the next uh, 48 hours. And Thanks, guys. Good man, thanks, uh, Nathan. Um, on the line there from Glasgow, he's got it. He's got a good Kathleen. Let's face it. That's, it's not too bad. I mean, he's getting junkets. to the match and he's getting to enjoy a bit of Glasgow. Yeah, yes. you should be. You should be having a word with that lad and telling me you need to get over to that North London derby this weekend. And it's all work. It's all work. I love to. I'm, I'm building up to Australia and New Zealand next summer. <laughs> we're, if we're if we're in a position where we're having that conversation, Kathleen, we're doing we're doing something. Uh, we're doing something all right. Listen, enjoy your weekend. Thanks, Billy, for this morning. Really enjoyed that. Thanks Thank a you. lot. Uh, you've been watching. Out I'm brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're back on Monday morning. It'll be Jer and Nathan will be back from Glasgow on the private jet. He'll be in studio. Sue Ronan will be here, obviously, to reflect on Ireland's game tomorrow night. Alan Quinlan will be talking about the weekend's rugby. Mark Carlson and Mike Carlson will be on hand to review the very latest in the NFL. And we'll also, of course, as always on a Monday morning, have the Gillette Labs performance rankings and much more besides. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.